Hi, and welcome to Humans Like Us. I am your host, Ricky Longshaw. On today's episode, I sat down with Brad Humble. Brad is many things to many people. He is a father, coach, mentor, has served on both the front lines of the police force as well as in active war zones, and I am lucky to call him my friend. We speak about many things from how we first met his start in the fitness industry through to his now coaching company, KH Strong, named after his late partner, Kiara, as well as an open and honest discussion about mental health, PTSD, and the toll of working in high stress and often horrific circumstances. We also touch on the future of education and the kids falling through the cracks. I had a bunch of fun and a fair share of reflection after this podcast. And I hope you find value in this conversation. Now, let's get on with it. If I'm still alive and not in hospital. That's a fair point. Yeah. Um, I'll bring all this. Oh, no, I can't even bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, let, I, I think let's talk about when I first met you. I think it's really important for context, and I think maybe you don't understand the impact that it had on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it probably had very little impact on you because I was just a client of a number of, you know, many. But for me, it was it was a really funny situation. So um, I was quite sick at the time. Uh, my thyroidism was through the roof. It was... Uh, yeah, it was a really strange time for my body and my life. It was, um, it was, it was one of those, those moments where I knew that. I it's it's real funny. Like it, it was the first time that I've ever sort of felt like I was dying. Mm. Um, so I ever ever the optimist went. The only thing I can do to pull weight on is start lifting weights again. So your gym definitely wasn't the first one that I walked into, but it was. It come at a point where I had to change something and, and and the way that I was physically with everything going on inside, I, I wasn't happy on the outside. So we have a mutual friend and uh, and she was amateur powerlifting at the time. And, uh, and I think through some, oh, that's not even the first time we met, but I'll get to that. So anyway, I, I, I messaged her and said, hey, this uh this gym in Bunbury, can you tell me about the guy that runs it? Lovely guy. I ended up messaging you. Um, it took you a while to get back to me. I was like, oh maybe like he doesn't want any more members. Like I didn't sort of know what the gym was about at the time. And and so anyway, I come in and and uh, you were very accommodating. I imagine I look like seventy kilos of embarrassment, right? Like I was, you know, my height at you know I think I was eighty five kilos then. Like I was skeleton sized you were yeah and it was um you know you 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 walked in you didn't mention my size at all I didn't mention my sickness uh we went through a real real sort of start like a real basic like obviously your thought pattern was Jesus Christ this guy's gonna drop a weight on himself um so we went through a nice simple workout just the basics the the big three um, you wanted to see where my squat was at, where my bench was at, and where the dead was at. The squat was funny. You were like, let's start with the bar. Started with the bar. It wasn't too bad. 
you're like, ah, oh, let's put 40 kilos on. We put 40 kilos on. You're like, ah, oh, let's go back to the bar. <laughs> and I remember that and I was like, oh, this is like, I must be really weak. I, and, and I felt weak and, and then I thought, shit, everyone now can see that I'm weak. Um, but you you fostered this sort of environment where like it didn't matter if I was weak and 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 then instantly I think like we had a connection like we from day one like calling to your office we always had good chats yeah. and yeah. and it become you know like I didn't train for long at dungeon the first time because I was sick and I I put my I put my membership on hold which you were cool with it was like no stress and I started to get better, and then I wasn't better again, and so I paused it again, and then I sort of just stopped. And but we we stayed in contact, right? Like we were still friends, and and you know I was you know around uh, this. I I suppose have been the start of you and Kiara, and you were getting a Harley, and we were talking about Harleys. It was all that good stuff, right? But yeah, I just I just want to start this conversation off, not with a uh not to make it too soppy but like you being cool and like a big dude that was just like looking to help a little dude made me feel really safe and and like excited about lifting little weights again like it wasn't like a like even though you obviously still out bench me like I can't even bench right now for unknown reasons mm. <laughs> you know what I mean like it's it, you never made it like it was like it's never been a competition like you never made me feel shit about the small weights and those sort of things right like so I just want to start by saying you know like I appreciate the uh, the kindness and the empathy that you brought to the gym and to me so that, that I just want to yeah so that's where we we met officially the first time I met you was at your print shop and uh, it was when I started my clothing company and my brother, we had a, had the company together and you were still training in that back storage route, like the back. That's right. Yeah, yeah I met you there yeah. and I met, and I don't know if you remember, but I just swung over like I got it, I got it, um, yeah, I was just like, oh, i got to go over there and get that printed. It was like 10 bucks or whatever and the lady in there was like, oh, okay, one picture, like it was one A3 picture, it was for my brother and yeah, and I met you and there was like three people training in the back there and I was like, fucking hell, like, these dudes are beasts, like big dudes obviously. Yeah, so that was actually the first time I met you when you're over on that road there behind Jackson's. But um, Wait, that's where it all began. Yeah, right. That was the, be <laughs> the beginning. So, so is that how it began for you as like as a as a gym owner. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, because I didn't I'd previously been training in just commercial gyms and you've seen what we do. It's mm. extremely difficult to try and do that in a commercial gym. Yeah, you're constantly looking for more weight mm. without trying to sound arrogant or cocky you're looking around you're trying to find plates of oh, the dumbbells only go to 50 what what am I going to do with that you know what do I do after my warm-up and I'd been I think at that stage I'd already been to the states twice to compete and I got I won the first competition that I went to there which was their uh, North American powerlifting championships which was held in in Florida down in Tampa it was a oh, beautiful place, stunning place. Absolutely loved it there. They treated you like a king. And, and I was like, oh, I might, I might be okay at this stuff. Like the guy that I went with, Big Matt, um, we, we became really, really good friends and we went and we travelled a bit together. So like that was awesome. And to be able to go and do that and then think, well, I want to do this a bit 
better than what I'm doing. Where can I go? And there was nowhere, absolutely nowhere. So I was like, well, bull by the horns, I'm going to have to start it myself. So I did. I had a bit of spare room down the back of one of my workshops and I, and I started it up in there. So oh, I can't even think of what year that was. 20, that would be 2014, I'd say. Yeah, probably 14. Yep, I reckon 2014, it was, yeah. yeah. So, and that was the first thing that I did. I bought, I got myself a rack. I managed to find a, a whole set of dumbbells straight away. Yep. That I got straight up to 50 kilos. So I was yeah, stoked nice. about that. Um, had a bench, a couple of little things, and I was like, this is all I need. And it was, and I had two or three people. I managed to get one young guy that really liked to help me out. And he was like my little minion. He'd load all my plates for me and spot and it was great. And in return, he could train there with me and I'd give him some guidance about what he needed to do with his training. And he got himself really strong too. So that was pretty cool. But it was, um, you know, we, we got to a point where more and more people were talking about it. And eventually, like, there was a fourth guy that came along and then a fifth. And I'm like, this, is, this isn't going to work. So two units down... We were in Unit 1, sorry, three units down in Unit 4. It was vacant. It had been vacant for at least a year. So I contacted the landlord and I said, look, how cheap can you give this to me? And he gave me a great deal. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a little bit of cash that I've got put aside. I'm going to buy the basics. Excuse me. Um, but I couldn't just buy the basics. So <laughs> I walked straight into this place and I'm like, I'll take three bench presses, please. So... And that was it. We were away. And we just grew within probably 12 months. 12 months, we'd replaced all of... Oh, no, probably about 18 months to two years. We'd replaced all of the benches, all of the racks, got ourselves at mono. Um, we had dumbbells up to 80 kilos. Like, we had three, four-ton worth of weight plates. And then we were too big for that place. So we went to another one, yep. you know. And, and that was cool. So it was the start of that little journey and... It was, it was some of the best fun I've ever had. Yeah, and I got to meet so many people. But I really, I really like, I liked hearing what you just said, because to me that's super important. I can give you a, an incident, one particular incident where I was training for a comp, and and I was pushing up around a two hundred bench at the time, and there were two young guys in the gym training, and they had sixty kilos on the bar. And I was like, oh, they're, they're really pushing themselves. That's good, you know. And you know what? That's that's not a lot of weight. I was pushing up towards 200. Yeah. Then they went to put another plate on each side and they'd never tried that before. And they stopped. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? They're like, oh, we, did, we don't want to really push ourselves like this. Like, we look stupid next to you. And I was like, what? And they mm. said, well, you know, like, look what you're doing and we're going to struggle to do this. We've never tried it before. So I said, all right, cool. So I took all the plates off the bar. And I packed all the plates away and I walked across to them and I was like, all right, let's do this. And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I can train whenever I want. I own this place. Yeah, yeah. I'll train in an hour when you go. Um, so I helped them. And it was the first time they actually had a, sorry, they had 80 on the bar. It was the first time they put a 20 and a 10. They'd only gone to the 20 and the five before. Yep. And they were so excited. Yeah. And, but they were more excited that I was there like taking it. And I was excited as what they were because you don't forget where you come from. I remember the first time I did that. Mm. The, okay, this is a really funny story considering today's circumstances. The first time I did that was at the Eaton Recreation Centre. Yeah, Roger. When I first tried to start benching heavier. Yep. Like I'd been training for a long time and 
I got it stuck on my chest. You wouldn't believe it. And yep. I had to roll it all the way off my body. Yep. And it was so cool. Because I remember that moment like mm. it was yesterday. And I was there to help these guys with it. And yeah. they were so appreciative. And I was like, isn't this just normal though? It's not. No. And that's when it's I realized not. that yeah. it's not. Because they were so taken, taken aback by the fact that I, not only had I stopped what I was doing, but I made what they were doing feel super important. Yeah. Because it was. It was to them. That was oh, the biggest thing they'd bro, ever when done. When you get that first hundred, like I hit my first hundred here out the back, right? Yep. Like, and I'll never forget that. Mm. For for context, I failed a hundred today, or I failed spectacular. I dropped it at full arm's length onto my chest. I think I may have a broken rib. Um, so that's that's the context here. But yeah, it's um, it's 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 so important that there's people like. Always ask the biggest person in the gym mm. advice, right? And they're generally the nicest, right? Like it's it's I liken bodybuilders to fighters, right? Like the most dangerous people are usually the most humble and nice, right? Yeah, and, and and it's same with bodybuilders, same with powerlifters. The biggest dude in the room usually is more than happy to talk. And, and it's, it's not just weights, right? It's everything. You ask someone about their passion and they can talk about it for hours, right? Absol- they yeah, fucking love absolutely. it. Absolutely, yep. Everyone loves loves to talk about their passion. So I, I think it's super important that – do you think that gym culture is changing? Do you think it is more accepting now than, say, it was in the early 2000s or mid-2010s? So if I, if I look back to when I first got involved in actually powerlifting at a higher level, mm. it was around 2008, 2009, okay. I would say. Um, I actually saw not long ago there was a photo up at the muscle pit of me uh, from 2010. Yeah, right. And I was like, geez, I'm getting old. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so it's been a long time. But that was a really, it was a, see, for me, I've been involved in a sport in, in its infancy. Like it had been around for a long time, but it was yeah. not big. It's yep. still not a big sport. Yeah. You know, we crack over a thousand members nationally. Yeah, Roger. Well, there's eight, nine hundred players just playing in the AFL, yeah. let alone yeah, yeah. every other competition. Yeah. So it's not huge. It's not big. But the thing is that I feel like it's actually gone to a negative place because there's been more people involved. Okay. You think it's watering down the lot, culture? It's watering down the level, yep. like the ability level. Definitely watering down the culture and creating... There's more people, so there's more groups, so there's more segregation. A lot more attitude, a lot more arrogance, and a lot more ignorance. And it's something that I have been working with a couple of people um, in Perth, trying to find reasons why. Why is the culture changing? Why has it... In particular, I'd say, in one federation I've been involved in, in the last two to three years, the, the culture's turned to shit. And... I feel confident in knowing what it is, but actually implementing change is very, very difficult. Um, but you know what I'm like. I'll, I'll just keep on boxing on with it until I achieve what I want yeah. to achieve. There's been another federation that we'd been involved in before and had a long time away from and had you know, big falling outs um, and had our own individual issues and all sorts of stuff um, have really turned the corner. Okay. And, like, the inclusiveness I've felt uh, since being involved with them again has been phenomenal. And I think the leadership hasn't changed. The leadership's still exactly the same. Mm. And I think there's been a a real drastic change and a real 
I guess, swing. There's a lot of younger people coming through. There's a huge, um, a huge focus on young people lifting. Um, and one thing I like about it, which sort of correlates with what we were talking before, is we've got an, we've got an MC in one of our federations called Adam Coe. Adam is the best Australian powerlifter to walk the face of the earth. You would look at him now and you wouldn't believe it, right? But this guy is phenomenal. Like, yep. he's the god of powerlifting to me. He's okay. one of the people that I respect the most in the entire industry. And he uh, works at the MC now. Um, the best MC. I've been to comps around the world. He's the best by a mile. His passion, he stands up on the edge of the platform and screams and yells and urges the weight up with the lifter. Like, he yeah. is so excited. It doesn't matter whether it's a 16-year-old kid doing their first deadlift at 100 kilos or a 35-year-old man pulling 350 kilos. He's so passionate. Yeah. And I think that alone is a great a great step for, for everybody. You know, it should be as important for a young kid doing their first comp, a middle-aged woman doing their first comp. Yeah. What they're doing is they're pushing themselves out of their comfort zone. They're performing in front of a, a large audience in one of the weirdest looking outfits you'll ever wear. So strange. And it is, right? <laughs> why is that the outfit? Why have, why have you just accepted this and not like questioned it? Why don't, why don't you like it? I just don't have the body for it. <laughs> it's powerlifting. I don't know if there's too many that there's have the body for it. There's not many for it, is there? No. But it's, it's so awesome to see mm. that these people are doing something. You could rock up tomorrow and you could do your first ever competition and you would be supported you feel like people like him yeah. who make you feel like you're the most important person in the world and you've just achieved the biggest thing ever because you actually have. Yeah. And it should be appreciated for what it is. You shouldn't have to be the best to have a specific song put on yeah. and have the volume turned up yeah, yeah. and have everybody told to get on their feet. I don't like that. Yeah. And that is where segregation happens and that's where people build an ego. The big thing about powerlifting is you walk outside the gym no one knows who you are because you're a nobody. Yeah. You're not Ronaldo. You're yeah. Not, you're not Messi. There's no C-bum. There's no, you know, there's no none one, of these. Nobody cares. Yeah. And you're you're the king of your bubble. Mm. And your bubble's tiny. And it, I don't think people actually realise that. I think that that is, I think accepting that is probably the biggest, like I think that there's 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 two thought thoughts on this, right? Like I think one we should all be content with where we're at and not care about outside, right? Like there should be no outside validation. I, however, do believe that outside validation helps motivate. I think it's like when I walked in here today and you went, geez, you're looking big, right? Like instantly I'm like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm doing all right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but I think like there's that certain, like it's with everything that everyone's doing now, social media, everything, right? Social media has changed the landscape of every single hobby yep. and passion on the planet. Yep. I think that there is a part of it that is super important. One, because you get uh, people, like I, th I think we just need to normalize dudes commenting on dude stuff more. Because we don't, we don't, you know, like girls, oh yes, queen, fucking, you know, killing it, looks so good, wish I had your legs. Dudes are like, so, <laughs> fag, <laughs> just get good like, real, you know, like loser. a real like derogatory in a, in a sense of yeah. compliments, right? Like they do. Do you find though that that's men as a whole though? Like yeah. we, 
Yeah, I do. I guess considering my background and, and places of employment, sports, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Like, I have people that I joke with now about my current situation. Yeah. And I know that they care about me because we're having those jokes. Yeah. Like people that send you snaps from the beach. Like, Jesus, yeah, nice. like pop that. down. <laughs> but like even, and I think to myself, why, why is this other dude being so nice? Like, what does he want? Like, my real mates will just tell me, <laughs> you dickhead. Like, yeah. But, but they care. And, and, like, we just smash each other. Yeah. And I don't know. I'd, but is that is that as healthy as it could be? No, absolutely not. Mm. Because a lot of it is still just put on for the sake of putting it on. Yeah. Oh, sorry, mate. I didn't mean yeah, to break. That's cool. You just break what you need to. Yeah. Sorry, just, uh, sorry that. chuck it a little closer to your face, bro. Oh, sorry. You're all right. Like, I just want to hear like, you. How close? Just like as close as I am. Like like, like this. Three fingers away. Yeah. Perfect. That's three digits. All right. So before all the power lifting, before everything, let's talk about young Brad. Ooh. What uh if I if I could ask you to describe yourself, what were you like as a child? Asshole. Yeah? Yeah, I was a terrible kid. Okay. What, okay. Let me rephrase that. Primary school Brad? Mm. He was a good little boy. And then high school Brad came along, probably latter part of primary school, year six, year seven in particular, because obviously we were in primary school in grade seven then. Yeah. And I got involved, I, I wasn't involved in drugs or crime or anything like that, um, but I had a sister who was overweight right? and I could make fun of her. No one else can. No one else is allowed to make yeah. fun of her, otherwise they're going to get a mouthful of my fist. Yeah, yeah. And... It, that happened a lot. Mm. And then it would be, hang on a minute, that kid over there is getting picked on. Go across there. Mate, piss off. No. Okay, whack. Yeah. And I was renowned at school for going around and picking on all the bullies, which I guess in essence, does that make me a bully or does that make me someone who's just sticking up for people? I yeah. saw it as I was sticking up for people. I think we justify it the best way we can, right? I justified it to suit my actions. Yeah. And I still do to this day. Yep. Um. So yeah, that was high school. It, it stepped up. Okay. Um, yeah, there was. There's a few different things. Like there was a particular incident. I had a friend that had. He was born with with one arm, mm-hmm. and good dude. He was a cool dude. His name was Jay. He was mm-hmm. a cool dude. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, we played rugby, and he wanted to play. And all the other guys were like, no, 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 no. And I was like, no, let him play. He's cool. He's a great guy. He was actually really good, and. Like it was so humiliating to be thrown to the ground by him, by this one arm dude. Man, but he yep. was a bit of a man child too. Okay. We were playing one day and we were in like ninth grade. And a couple of these grade ten and eleven guys came and played and they were on the other team. And I didn't mind a little bit of the old rough and tumble, so I was happy. Anyway, one of them tackled this guy and he pushed his face into the dirt. He's like, You shouldn't even be playing, you cripple. And I was like, That is not cool. Yeah. So it really bothered my mate too. So we waited until the end of the game and we were leaving the Oval to go back to the next class. And uh, this was in a lunch break, by the way, not phys ed or anything. So it was yeah, obviously mixed grades. And uh, he, I said something to him, maybe along the lines of, hey, you're not very nice. And he turned, turned back around and he came towards me and we had a bit of a push and shove and I might have thrown one. I was, I was the victim. Anyway... He walked, his mates had grabbed him and they walked off. And uh, there was some construction work being done near the steps there and there was a whole heap of that bunting around. And 
I said something else to him when he came back towards me and I thought it was a great idea to pull the star picket out of the ground and go towards him. Not a good idea. No, it was a bad idea. It was a terrible idea. And that was that was worth, like the escalation. Mm. No middle and, ground. Say again? No middle ground. So just no, there was no verbal to death. Yeah. Now we're... Well, it was, it was just, I don't know, I saw red. I really saw red and I still do to this day. I hate weaker people being picked on. I hate vulnerable people being picked on, disabled people being... I hate it with a passion. Mm. And I've, I guess I've just had that protective nature, which, like you say, yeah, I justify it to myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know what? I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I don't have a problem yeah, with that. Yep. And, and that's sort of how it went. And then through high school years, I'll, oh, the, the, I guess the shit that I would have put my parents through... Mm. Is would, you know, you look back and you just think, how could you do that to two, yeah. people, two people who love you? Because, you know, we've got kids. We know what it's like we to do. love. Yeah. You know, that, that particular love is huge, right? Mm. It's impossible to beat. And I put those people who love me that much through so much pus and pain. Yeah. And you know what? I still do to this day at times. Yeah. But I don't like thinking about that. Like it makes me feel genuinely, I don't know if bad's the word, I feel uncomfortable about it and I, and I guess I regret a lot of that mm. um, and wish I had been able to handle it differently. I don't, I don't regret the fact that I grew up to not take, take a backward step. Mm. Um, like my dad's a man's man. Yeah. And I feel like I grew up to become a man which would make him proud. But at the same time, he was also a very clever man and he would communicate verbally where he could. Yeah. And last case... Mm. he would go to the to the um the alternate option you know yeah that's where i just didn't have that i didn't have yeah. that communication skill like i've learnt over the years now so yeah, right. yeah i didn't i didn't much like me when i was young <laughs> well, that's cool there's probably a few people that didn't much like you either i so my mum used to say that to me i yeah. say no i don't like that guy he's a dick mm. well he probably doesn't like you either well, good. And in high school, it's really hard to understand that. Like, I, I don't know about your, yourself, but but myself was, I, and I still am. It's it's a trait I have. I am. I, I consider I am really good at being friends with everyone, mm-hmm. and it has kept me out of more trouble than it's got. Oh, maybe it hasn't. Maybe it's got me into more trouble than it's kept me out of. But I've always had. An option, right? There's always been a a backup, yeah, with people in my life, and 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 I think I'm um, I'm really lucky for that. I, but it is purely, I, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's a narcissism thing or a manipulation thing. I don't know, but I've always been really good at having people around, yeah. And, and having really good relationships. I do it at work. I do it everywhere. I've done it everywhere in my life. I am really, really good at building those sort of relationships. So high school for me was a mix of trying to have as many friends as possible and then feeling absolutely insecure when not everyone wanted to be my yeah. friend. Yeah. yeah. It was it was that sort of time where I wanted as many friends as possible because you, you're going through it, right? Like puberty uh girls for some people boys like there's just you're going through this time where nothing makes sense and the only way you can sort of get through it is with your friends yeah and they're the the most important people right Mm, and then you've got to deal with rejection 
And yeah. you're like, what? Yep. <laughs> Look, in regards to me getting into punch-ons all the time, mm-hmm. the one thing my, did, my dad did tell me, and to this day I think I can say that I've done that, is never start a fight mm. because you'll get into enough. Mm. And it is so true. Mm. And I, I tell that to my kids yeah. all the time. And it's so true. So true, it man. It'll what, find you, it right? Find like you. It, it does. And, no, and not everyone, but I dare say that everyone is at some point in their teenage life definitely going to have an altercation. Mm-hmm. Because it, it's, what, it's, it's what we do naturally, right? Like that's the only way that the human knows how to figure out hierarchy. It's the only way that any animal knows how to yeah, figure out hierarchy. It's with aggression. I and had this discussion yeah, yesterday yeah. about um, about masculinity. Yeah. And the difference between that and toxic masculinity. Mm. Because I hear that bandied around quite a bit. And you don't go into the jungle and find anyone but the king of the jungle being the biggest, strongest, nastiest lion. Yeah. And he's the leader. And he's done so by flogging every other lion. Yeah. Every animal does it. We're no different. We do it. And I don't think that's toxic. I think that's just masculinity. And I think some, you know, there's obviously a, a huge amount of variables in that. Yeah. But yeah, I think, yeah, that's just how I feel anyway. Right. So you get through high school. Well, let's say you're still in high school. Uh, and obviously now fitness is a huge part of your life. Mm-hmm. Was it always so? Not. Um, I was just a normal build kid. Okay. So like I could run 100 metres, came second in B grade. Yep. Uh, a grade, A division. Second in A division. Right. So more athletic than not. Yeah. I won B division one year. Yep. Because I, we had the two fastest kids in our um, faction. Bastards. I know. And I was, in, I was in grade seven and I was like, I want to win a race. I don't want to come second. Because mm. the year before, old mate, he'd been sick. So I got the A grade call up. Lovely. And I was like, yes. Still got beat it's by the other fellow. So I was like, you know what? I'm tanking. I'm coming third in the faction tryouts and I'm going to do B division. And I did. And then I won. Yep. And I was like, I don't care. I won. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> That's good. Totally tank. Hey, man, a win is a win, right? Like it's, win. It was a huge win. It's a huge win. Um, but yes, I was, I was into my sports. I loved footy. I loved cricket, basketball. Yep. I've always, like sports, always been a huge part of my life. Never had much ability. Yeah. But a lot of intensity. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's half the battle, I think, is, is yeah. applying yourself, even if you yeah. shit. Like, at least you're having a crack. I can say I tried. Yeah. I can always say that I tried my best. Yeah. And I think I was about probably 12, 13 when I started um, martial arts. Yep. And then that had a huge fitness um, aspect to it as well. So that was actually much more than I wanted. I did not want to run that much. Hard work. It is really hard it work. It is hard work. Yeah. But I that was probably the one between that, cricket and footy. They were the three that I stuck with the yep. most throughout life. Um, and then 2020, I mean, at 20 years of age, 21 years of age is when I started to train uh, in the gym. Right. So, yeah, 20, 20 years ago. So did you finish high school? I finished 10th grade and I didn't want to go back. Okay. And I was given the specific instruction that you will get a job yep. or you will go back to school. Yep. So I got a job. Okay. What was your first job? My first job was HJ's. Oh, lovely. Hated it. Hated it. Oh, I wanted to go and work at Macca's. Oh. Do you know what, though? Hungry Jack's burgers are the best. Burgers are better at Hungry Jack's. Have you heard that? It's not even a gimmick. Yeah. That I is know. science. I go both ways. 
when what it comes to my burgers <laughs> and my men. <laughs> no, it's um, yeah, right. So hungry jack. Three weeks. Three weeks. And then I got a machining apprenticeship. Right. So I was a print machinist. Mm-hmm. Finished that apprenticeship. Did that for a little bit. Oh, probably was that a four-year apprenticeship back then? That was four, yeah. Right. But I did. You had these competency books, and once you finished that, you could apply to have it done. Yep. So I finished mine after like three years and so two months. Just like a bunch of RPL, they would call it now. Pretty much. Yeah, Roger. Yeah. So I was yeah just over three and a, well, let's say three and a quarter years. Yep. For that, yeah. And print machinists. Why? Why? Why print machinists? Why? Well, my grandfather owned a printing firm. Right. And. The guy who was my boss was one of his apprentices. Yeah, right. And he was looking at the time for somebody to put on as a lackey. And um, I got a phone call and I was like, well, I'll go down and have an interview. Yep. Um, and I did. And I was like, do you want to start on Monday? And I said, okay. Yeah, nice. So I didn't want to go back to HJ's after yeah, that right. three weeks. Fair so enough. that was the first week of Feb. Yep. So. Yeah, nice. Okay. So you're 21, you're qualified. 21. I started that when I was 15 because oh. I'd only just finished 10th grade. Oh, 10th, Roger. Yeah. So, okay, so you... you I was 20, a tradie before yeah, 20. Before 20, Roger. Yep. yep. And so then you worked there, obviously, for a while? I stayed on for another year or so okay. after and then went to another printing firm for a little bit. Yeah, Probably right. another 12 to 18 months. What did I do after that? Where, did, where did the military come in after this? What sort of age did you... The end. Yeah. Okay. That was the last... So that was after the police. Right. Oh, okay. So I did a little bit of um, work with uh, Pears and Teenies, actually. Yep. Driving plant. Roger. Uh, then I decided I was going to go back and work in printing again. So I worked at a place called Dynamic Print. Left there to join the police. Okay. And then subsequently, the last place I worked as a printer was the one that I bought. Right. When, um, yeah, when it became available. Yeah, right. Yeah. So why why the decision to join the police force? Uh, so my dad, uh, my dad was cop. Okay, and I always wanted to be one. That was right. all. I, that was all I ever wanted to do. Yep. Um, I'm like fourth generation. Mm. So, yeah, dad, my grandfather was police and military. Uh, Great grandfather was police. So it was a yeah. I'm surprised my last name's not constable. Mm. So. Um, but yeah, so that was the reason why, and I, it was something I always wanted to do. And I actually had three bites at the cherry. So I tried once when I was 19 um, and didn't make it through from one question, actually, in the psych evaluation. Yeah, right. And then I went back and I, did, I didn't know what the deal was. I didn't know, they just said you didn't make it. I didn't know that there was this one question I got wrong. So I've gone back and they've asked me the same three questions again. And I'm like, this is weird answered this yeah so i was like i've got one of these wrong i must have got one of these wrong right. the one that i got wrong i just answered the same again yeah right, so i got yep. it wrong again yep and then you got to wait 18 months okay back then I don't, I don't know what it's like now but you had to wait 18 months to go again so i waited my 18 months and i went again and i changed my answer to that question and it was a initiative based question that's all it was okay what would you do would you sit there and do what you told or would you take action yeah right and i just answered what i thought the correct answer yeah. was i'm taking action every time and they're like oh maybe you need to look no at this. it was the no? other okay. way around all right the question was in regards to seeing something occurring and you've been given strict instruction by your sergeant you do not get out of the car right what do you do okay and i'm like i'm not insubordinate if, i wonder if that's changed now 
with the rate of yeah, I, I wonder if the media has changed stuff like that. Like everyone has a camera now, right? Like yeah, and if like I, I wonder how quick the police force these days would go. Well, we gave you an order, you immediately, you know, disregard it. Yep. Yeah, I wonder. Well, on the other hand, though, you look, you know, say someone's being mugged across the street, and you're told not to leave the car. Hundred percent going to run yeah. over there. Exactly. We'll drive the car over the person. <laughs> yeah, right. So, but the thing is, you don't want to, you don't want to follow that order and sit there because yeah. there's 75 people walking around with cameras. Yeah. So you listen and you don't yeah. get in trouble. It's hard, isn't but it? But you do get in trouble. Yeah. Yep. So they essentially they look for people with initiative. Yep. And my original answer would have been correct. Right. Where I was like, no, I'd get out and I'd go and get them. Yep. You know. Then I'm like, oh, that's not what they want to hear, but it's called so robbers, but this is what we do. I just said, look, what I do is I do what I'm told because I'm not insubordinate. Yeah. And they didn't tell me I got that wrong. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> I was spewing because I was like, I did not want to say that answer. Yeah. But I did it twice, so who's the clever guy? Yeah, right. So tell me about the tell me about the police force. What was it like? Um, it was a good job. It was a good job. Yeah, I loved it. Okay. Yep. In I a sense, like I, I I get that the like I, it's I feel like it's one of those jobs where your team makes it like as good as it is, right? I would agree with that. Because you've obviously got, like you said, that trait where you want to help people, you want to protect people, right? So you're already the person for the job, in yeah. my mind. Then you get there. Is it just more of the same people? In regards to that you work with? Yeah. No. No? Not everyone's there just to help people? No, I don't I don't think they are. Okay. Um, I think a lot of people are picked on at school. Yep. And they need to have some sort of... You know, yeah. I'm the big person now. Yeah, yeah. who's got the gun now, yeah. Yep. Um, I Look, I'm not a sexist person, but I feel like there are too many women on the front line. Um, and I don't necessarily believe that that is a smart option. Okay. Due to the fact that, yes, they might have their accoutrements, their firearm, their taser, their spray, their baton, right? But if they're standing a foot away from me and I decide that they're not going to get to that, they're not going to get to that. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they're seriously hurt, or if not worse. They're injured. They're out of play. Their partner is at risk mm. of being outnumbered drastically. I think it's very dangerous. And I think there's been a big push by the WA police in particular to try and be too politically correct. I know for a fact they need to have a particular amount of female officers I know for a fact they need a particular amount of Indigenous officers rather than saying, let's get the best officers because it's a pretty serious job. It is probably, like, I think it, it it's one job I know I couldn't do, right? I have yeah. that same reaction speed that you have and it's just nothing or go, right? Like, I would be tasing everyone because if you really want to look for trouble, you found it. Exactly. Officer Longshore here, just shooting everyone, right? In all the years that I was in the police, I I used my taser twice. Yeah, right. Only two times. Yeah. Because it was too much paperwork. Yeah, Roger. Okay. But you did shoot a snake once. It was an accident. (laughs) And it was a tiger snake, and it was going to kill me. Okay, fair enough. I was in fear of grievous bodily harm or death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quick as I've ever moved. So. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. 
So how long were you in the police force, Walt? 85 years. Hey, nice. You're looking good for 100, 110. <laughs> uh, I was encroaching seven. Okay. Yeah. It was a, it was a good job and there was it's one of those careers where you can do such a wide variety of things. Mm. And look, I, I have, look, and I have worked with um, one female officer in particular who was as tough as me. Yeah. And I've seen her take out dudes. Yeah. So there is always an exception to every rule. And I don't, like, I just feel like I need to touch on that because I don't want to be seen as, oh, that guy just doesn't look. Do you know what? You pick the best person for the job. So there's an area in the police where you work with victims of sexual abuse. Yeah. Rape victims, victims of pedophilia. Yeah. It is a proven fact that women are the best to talk to in relation to those matters than a man. Mm. So there is a place. There is places, you know, like having females is great because... Let's face facts. They're generally smarter than us. They are by far the better sex. They they think of things in a much better way than what we do. So, so there is there's specific roles. I just think you need to be real role specific. And gender and race shouldn't come into things where it's policing or military, emergency services in general, because you're talking about people dying like that. Mm. It is that quick. And until people have been in that situation... And they want to have an opinion on it, like I oh, know, you know, I can do anything I've got. No, you can't. Let's face facts: you just can't. And it's not being nasty, and it's not being sexist. It's just a fact. And until you've been in that position where you've had someone pointing a gun at you, or in my particular situation, you're involved in a fight with about fifteen people, and your partner, who was female, locks herself in the car. Yeah. So until you've been there, just shut up, because you don't know. You really don't. And that, like I say, there are so many avenues. You can go anywhere in this state and work. Yep. The most remote community on the planet, and you can go there and you can work and you can make such big differences. And I think it's a great career for young people. Yep. I really do. Would I go back to the police right now? No chance in hell. Because I don't like what it's become. Yeah. Because it is so politically correct. Yeah. You, you want your police force to be a force. Mm. Not... 19-year-old kids that weigh 45 kilos ringing wet having a power trip. Yeah. And I think that's scary and dangerous. And the vast majority of guys that I was in the job with have left. And the ones that I do talk to, we all sort of say the same things on a continual basis, which I don't think that's very good for the organisation. Yeah, right. So there's still plenty of good ones, man. And it's like any any group, any organisation, you know, there is, it's always such a small minority. Yeah. And it really is. It's a small minority that are corrupt. It's a small minority that aren't capable of being up to a specific standard. And the vast majority are very, very good and they do their job very, very well. And while they're doing that, fantastic. Mm. But with those things, I really feel like we should be harder and we should aim for perfection. We really should. Yeah. I, I, I think... There's, I, th- I think it's a complex thing, right? Like, I think that there are so few people that can do it effectively, compassionately, mm. empathetic. Like, because you're not just a bruiser, right? Like, it's not always conflict. It's not always no. fucking guns out, cops and robbers, right? It's like, it's not. There is so much of a... I think you need such soft skills as a cop. Yeah. Um, that there's... I, I don't know that there's that many people on the planet. Like, there's, there's just not enough of those people. Mate, you'd, you'd find, I would say very comfortably, I would say at least three quarters 
of the police officers I ever worked with never drew their gun. Yeah, right. There was no requirement. Okay. And that shows you that there is not that whole, it's not all brute force. Yeah. It's just the fact that when there is, it needs to be dealt with accordingly. Yeah. And it needs to be dealt with a, with not an equal force, it needs to be dealt with with a greater force. Mm. You're taught in your training, if someone pulls out a knife, you pull out a gun. Yeah. You don't pull a knife said, out for a knife. No, it's not fucking... You don't play to lose, you play to win. Yeah. And, but you're right about the other side of it. All police officers, oh sorry, every death, the police have to attend. Yeah. Because you're dealing with that every day. Mm. There's sudden death files everywhere. There's a whole coronial investigations unit. Yeah. Um, the traffic guys. Who do you think goes to all the fatal crashes? Yeah, it must be. Who do you think fight. goes and tells all the families? Yeah. So it's not, you know, and it's another thing. Like I'm, I've always been, and I've told you this before, I've always been even since I left, and even times I haven't got along with the police, I've always been very pro-police. Yeah. I don't like the whole pigs and cops and all that sort yeah. of stuff. They're police officers and yeah. they deserve that respect. But, um, you know, it's it's one of those things. There's nothing, you can't prepare people to pull a corpse out of a vehicle. No. Or to walk into... In pieces. Exactly. A small baby. Like, I, I, yep. I, I cannot imagine the heartache that it must be being a cop. That like and again like it's not the like I, I, I there absolutely would be trauma in the cops and rubber stuff right like shooting someone like there's absolute course, trauma yeah. in that yeah. but I don't think it compares at all to a drowning of a small child or yeah. you know all those sort of things that must be just so hard to deal with. Yep. It just yeah I I just don't understand I don't, how and people it. can't you can't understand. You can't understand the horrific nature of that until it's been experienced. Mm. And one of the reasons I like doing that job, again, was a protective thing because it meant other people didn't have to do it. You know, like I was happy to go and deal with horrible things, Mm. knowing full well that, you know, we're getting assholes off the street, which means my family's safe. Yeah. Um, You know, I'll go to that traffic crash because I don't want innocent people to come across it and stumble over it and you know what I mean mm. and then all of a sudden they've seen all this traumatic snuff well at least I was getting paid you know yeah. it doesn't make it any better but sometimes like I used this this um, specific incident the other day when I was talking to someone about the way people are put together and everybody remembers the Twin Towers going down and you see 99.9% of people running away from these towers falling to the ground yeah. Then you've got 0.1 of a percent who are emergency people service run back workers. In there. Yeah. They run to the incident. Yeah. And you're not, I don't even think you can actually train to become that. I think you are either that or you're not. Yeah. And for me, that's why I thought it was the best job in the world for me because that's what I like to do. If there's an incident, I want to be the hero. I want to, not for my own personal gratification, to save other people from going through that. Yeah. And. I felt good about doing that. Talk to me. Talk to me about. Um, so this is obviously you know early mid two thousands. Um, mental health was not spoken about the way it is now, right? Like obviously there was, you know, there would have been certain protocols, procedures. If say there was a a death, if you dealt with, you know, all those sort of things first on scene, those sort of things. Can you talk to me about your mental health at this time? Yep, it was it was okay. Okay. Like I was, um, from a young age, I was obsessive compulsive. 
and like I was diagnosed as a kid. Um, so, you know, I dealt with that. Sorry, I shouldn't say I dealt with that. I got that to a position where it didn't affect my life. Yep. And I felt fine. The things that I've put them down to is you go to work. Let's just say you pull an infant from a vehicle who's deceased. Mm. You deal with that for the day. You go home, you go to bed, then you go to work and something else happens. So that's gone. And then all of a sudden at the end of your career, you stop. Because once you've gone back to work, the bosses make a very, well, I don't know what they do now. They made a very specific strategic play that you would be in the office with 10, 15 other coppers. Right. Hey, Brad. Yeah, boss. You're all good with what happened today, yeah? Yeah. Yep, I'm good. Yeah. And that's not an accident. It's not an accident when that happens every time for everybody. And they can bullshit and say that it was coincidence. It's not. I know that it's not. I've I've seen it firsthand. and I've seen it on multiple occasions with multiple people. So it's all brushed over because then they've got to take accountability for what's occurred and the fact that they don't have anything in place. Nothing was put in place for the mental well-being of their officers. Like I say, it could be completely different now and I really hope that it is. Yeah. Because the day that I stopped working was the day that I had problems there. I bet you hit you like a ton of bricks, right? Like you, you plan that whole career over in your mind. All those horrible scenes that are just like looking at pictures, right? Like it's just they would flash back. So yep. I, 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 like I said, man, I really feel for those that are on that front line. And even though it's not affecting them now, like it must be such a traumatic experience. Yeah, and it's horrific to, it's horrific to think of, like I got really, I don't deal with betrayal very well. Okay, it's one of the things that triggers me, and for particular reasons. And one thing in particular was. I got admitted to the Hollywood hospital in their mental health unit because I got to a point where I couldn't function. And it was, mate, it was fucking awful. Yeah. I had, at that point in time, I had a wife, I had a young fella. You've, you've met my ex-wife, you've mm. met my son. Mm. And, you know, he was getting to the stage where he was sort of like starting to be that walking point. And I was unpredictable. I was unpredictable at night time. Yep. Not so much during the day. During the day, I just didn't want to get out of bed because why should I? So, you know, I found at night time I was replaying a lot of the things in my head, but I'd replace people that were in incidents with people I cared about. So in particular, pull a baby out of a car. Yeah, you've got a baby. I've gone right? and done that. Yeah. And now it's my son. Yeah. And you wake up shaking, screaming, sweating, mm. all sorts of horrible things going on. You know, you think people are coming after you and... You sit on your letterbox for the night, Ricky. Yeah. You sit on your letterbox with a double barrel shotgun all night in a pair of boxer shorts. Thank goodness it wasn't winter. Yeah. And thank goodness no one lived. Yeah. Any, no one came down that cul-de-sac. Yeah. So it's at that point that I realised I need help. So I contact my doctor. He's like, this is serious. You've got to go to the Hollywood hospital. They deal with this for ex-military and emergency service people. Um, cool. No worries. So this is at the conclusion of everything, I should say, sorry. Yep. The most trauma I ever had was from police incidents by by far and away. Yeah. I would say just about all. And like worth noting, you're in active military service and the police was more traumatic than that. Police, yeah, it was the it's so close to home. It's, it's so real. More 
You person. see people you know. Yeah, yeah, right. I went to a shooting of a guy that I coached in junior football. Yeah, right. It's Yeah, so it's very, very close and it's very, very real. So I'm at Hollywood Hospital. They've wanted me to stay as an inpatient for three weeks, which I did. And there's a cost that comes with that. The WA police refused to accept any responsibility. Then there was a course that goes on for six months, two days a week. Um, met some amazing guys, like six, seven of the most amazing blokes you'll ever meet in your life. Yep. All ex-police, military, ambos, fire, all of that. And um, it was really cool to meet people who were the same because you're like, shit, I'm not the only one who's doing this. Not that, yeah. not that you think oh, I'm so special, I'm the only one, but to actually hear the words come out of someone's mouth and you're like, well, that's okay. Yeah. This is a bit better than what I was you know, expecting. Um, 20-odd thousand dollar course. Yeah, right. Funnily enough, the WA police said they weren't going to pay a cent. Because we checked in on him. He said he was fine. He said he was yeah. fine, right? He said he was fine. We yeah. asked him every time. Yep. He said he was fine. So uh, there was a doctor there, a psychiatrist, Dr. Winston Chu. An absolutely incredible man. Yep. I have no doubt in my mind he's the best trauma psychiatrist in Australia. Yeah, he right. is phenomenal. And I sat in his office with my... So he was a psychologist... A psychiatrist, sorry. My psychologist was Doug Brewer. Um, both wonderful people. And Winston's looked up and he's gone, he's an Asian guy. So I'll be like, well, racist. Don't do the, ra- don't no, do no. the voice. It's, it's what he sounds like. He he's like, you mean you mean they not pee? Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, look. I was like, Doc, they're not going to. Um, give me five minutes. Comes back in, maybe six minutes. Sorry I'm late. <laughs> I said, <laughs> Are you serious? They'll pay. And I'm like, I'm sitting there and I looked at Doug and I'm like, what? And they, he said, you don't understand the pool that this man has. Yeah, right. And he's put the fear of God into them and they paid. And I was the first person that the WA police, police ever paid to go through that course. Yeah, right. And that course stopped me like, that, that course kept me alive. Yeah, Roger. Without any shadow of a doubt. Um, my ex-wife put up with a lot. Yeah. She wore the brunt of it it's, and I feel terrible for yeah. that. Yeah. I um like not even not even close to the scale, right? But I went through a really, really rough period, really, really dark period, and I thought that I had it under control and no one knew and it was all good. Mm. And I got out the side of it and this was like years, like a couple of years, I got out the other side of it. And my wife said, You had no idea how close I was to leaving you. Yeah. Yeah. They're the they're I guess the innocent victims. Oh, it's such a it's, it's yeah. yeah it you just you can't hold it all yourself, right? And even though you don't know it's leaking out of the sides, it is absolutely seeping out. I was going to say it's, it's pouring, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. they know they're the ones that know you so well. Mm. And like I, I, I hurt I owe her a mountain, yep. you know, for what she did for me during that period of time. You can imagine, like a husband just. Landing around doing nothing. Yeah. Waking up in the middle of the night with his hands around your neck. Yeah. Like, I thought someone was trying to get into our bedroom door, totally disoriented. It was movement through a crack, but it was the window and a tree. Yeah, right. So I've smashed it with my little bombing knocker that I had under the bed. Yeah, yeah. How's that at three o'clock in the morning for you? Right. Like, it's just, yeah. It's, it's, and it's, this chick's just laying there, like, 
Not what again. Oh, here we go. Another, another <laughs> one. Razzolini again. At least I'm not getting choked today. Yeah, bro. I, I think it's... And I, look, I, I understand that, um, like you said, you're in this room with people that are in the same situation, right? Like, and it felt so good to not be the only one, right? Like, yeah. I think that we are around so many people that are going through it that it is almost our duty to talk about it. Yeah. Because as soon as someone knows that they're not alone, it's that feeling, right? It's that, fuck, like I know that, you know, he's been through it, like, and he will understand. Mm. I I get it from my kid. My oldest one, she will talk to me before she will talk to Jess. Yep. Because she knows my mental health struggles, right? Like, and, and it's hard. It's hard to listen to that from your children because you think you've created this whole world for them where everything's safe and everything's good, but you can't protect them from everything and they mm. need to go through that. And I think it's just so important. And it's absolutely our, it's almost our duty to talk about it because. I think it is. And I think that's why, like, you, you know, one of the things that I like, I would have done anything to have. So I, I saw these guys up at Hollywood. And they were specialists in their field and they dealt with this stuff every day. So they knew what I was talking about. Had they experienced these things? No. Not at all. But that was as close as you will get from a shrink. It really is because that's all they did every day for years. Winston had been doing it for decades all around the country. So he's heard the worst of the worst. He's dealt with the worst of the worst. And he's helped the worst of the worst. When I came home after that and saw it, out a counsellor for myself all time I went through nine before I found one that I would that I felt comfortable with Mm. and I still talk to her now I spoke to her what day is it today it's Friday Friday yeah I spoke to her on Tuesday okay so I still have regular contact with her now the thing that I want to do because I would have done anything for this so I'm doing my psychology degree at the moment and I want to be able to provide that. Like, I want to be able to be a qualified psychologist who deals with police, military, any ex-emergency service workers or military personnel because you can relate. Yeah. And it would make... This is only my opinion. I feel... For me, I would have loved to have had that because I would have felt so much more comfortable... Because you go in there and you talk to them and you're like, you've got no fucking idea what I'm talking yeah, about. When was the last the time job. you ripped a yeah. dead body out of a car? Yeah. You know, like, and it's not their fault. They're just trying to help you. Yeah, it's just they're different. They went a different way, right? Yep. They had a different job. But yeah. when you talk to somebody who's actually been through and lived experiences that you have, and even someone who's gone through the trauma side of it, and even, you know what, I'll be fighting those battles for the rest of my life. Mm. Because the day that you think you're over it, is the day that you're lying like to you yourself. Like you said, right? You got to the end of your career and then it just yeah. it hit you like a ton of bricks. So that's that's something that I would really like to do. And I, I agree with you because I think I am somewhat obliged to do that. Yeah. And I don't want it to be a thing that's through DVA funding or police funding. I want to be able to just do that. Yeah. Not charge these guys. Find somebody who'll support me with it and say, here's an office for you to use. Yeah. You know, get a group of private organisations to turn around and go, thank you, everybody, for what you do for us. You know, and to be able to provide that. Yeah. And I guess we just, you know, I, I complete as much training as I can. And it was always my plan to hit sort of semi-retirement age and do that. Mm. But now it's become more 
than just a plan. Like it is a goal. Yeah. And it'll happen. Do you think this is just the next phase of you wanting to protect people? Uh, yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not a physical thing now. It's you, do you, do you think that there is far more benefit in protecting the mental over the physical now? I, I think there's definitely some, um, parity mm. because so one thing I've, I've done over the years is people for some reason, and I don't know what it is. They tell me everything. Yeah. I can find out anything about anybody. Yeah. And I like that because I'm very good at extracting information, but I was also trained to extract information. Mm. But on, on the same hand, people have always confided in me and have spoken to me when things are bad. Um, and I've loved helping people work through things. Yeah. No matter what the outcome is at the other end, at least I've tried my hardest to try and make a successful outcome for them. If it isn't, it isn't. It most of the times it usually is, you know. So if I can do that in a much more professional way and actually dedicate a hell of a lot more time to doing that, have a facility to do that in, then, like I say, I, I, I somewhat feel obliged. And yes, it is 100% still protective nature. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah, some like I've had mates come up to me and say, oh, I'm having problems with my wife or my husband or whatever. And I've got the kids... You know, what do we do? And one thing I've always said to people is your children in 20 years' time aren't going to come up and say, thank you, mum, for staying with my dad. You're not happy for 20 yeah, years. Yeah, I'm really glad you did that. Yeah. Because now what you've done is you've teach your kids what unhappy looks like. And unfortunately, that unhappy looks normal. So they don't know that that's not how marriage is meant to be. Mm. Plus, why the fuck don't you deserve to be happy? Yeah. Everybody deserves to be happy. Yeah. So I think that whole... And we have changed as a society... In regards to mental health, I think we're kidding ourselves if people think that we talk enough about it. Yeah. Because no one, I can tell you right now, you go down to the shopping centre where you've got to hold a door for somebody. If they've got a broken leg, you're going to stand there and you're going to hold the door. 100%. Because you can see it. Yeah. You cannot see a broken head. And I know, and I use that somewhat tongue in cheek, yeah. but it's true. You can't. You've got no idea. And it's no different than people talk about thinking, you know, we were talking about the stuff with manliness and stuff before and people get all excited. No, if that happened to me, I'd just get out of my car and I'd belt him. Yeah. You don't know. That guy could be the world's best fighter. Yeah. He could have just had a marriage-ending argument with his wife. Yeah. Next minute, you're dead. Yeah. Dude's got nothing left to live for, right? Right. <laughs> like you don't know what people are capable you, of. And you can't see what's happening you in their head. You predict it. So, Yeah. I think, yeah, definitely the protectiveness, definitely feeling an obligation, but it will be done. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. So hopefully sooner rather than later. Did you, just harkening back there to your uh, your childhood, this, this you know, these 10 years, you said that your, uh, your old man was always willing to communicate. Was it, was, was anything like this ever a discussion in your house? Um, what in regards to like mental with, health you know obviously your dad was a cop so he's probably had all these same thoughts right mm. did you identify that in him I've never seen it in my dad once okay never yeah and look he could be one of the do you think it's just the generation also. difference I think there is a bit to do with that yeah I think there is a bit to do with that so 
I don't know. I, I've been really lucky. And this is another one of the reasons why I feel I'm, I'm obliged to give back and why I did a lot of the youth work that I had recently done. Mm. I had a great childhood. Mm. I didn't have a, I was naughty, right? I needed a good <laughs> kick up the ass. And don't get me wrong, yeah. I got them. Yeah. But um, I deserved everything I got. Okay. And I had a great childhood. We didn't have a million bucks, but we had like oodles of love. Yeah. And we had everything we needed. That's all that matters, I think. Exactly. Yeah. So it was never taboo to talk about anything in the house. We did speak a little bit when I first got told that I was obsessive compulsive. Yep. There was some conversations around that. And mum, my mum in particular is probably a bit that way inclined herself, or not a bit, a lot. Yep. And so her and I would have conversations all the time. And that worked a lot. So there wasn't as many, I guess, conversations with him surrounding those things. Yep. Um, and one thing that did come to the fore was a lot of the times with those OCD-type ritual things, they were all in regards to protecting people and needing to be around people to make sure they were safe. remember one time my dad was flying to the uh, Melbourne for something. For, well, I might have been going on the footy boys weekend and I nearly wrecked it for yeah, him. Yeah, good job. Yep, and I was a mess because I couldn't, I wasn't with him. Yeah. What if something happens to him? And so everything's always been about protecting people yeah. in my toll off. But yeah, so we would, we would have conversations around that. Like I say, there was nothing that was really taboo. Mm. There was nothing that was off the table. Um, and I had a really, really good childhood. Really, like, I would say a fortunate childhood. Yeah. So I imagine, like, again, it's, it's like, I imagine it's such a shame that you probably, in your policing career, in so many fucking shitty childhoods, yeah, and houses playing out in stuff that you really couldn't impact, yep. And I, and, it, and it's, it's so sad to say, but you need to see that to realize how good you had it. I think, I think I knew, yeah, but it very much hit home, yeah, and probably more so when I did my work with the at-risk youth. Yep. The first, um, I, I was really lucky to do that job. Yeah. I started off through the PCYC doing that and I worked with um, a lady named Amanda Ferguson um, and she's one of the most incredible people that I've ever met. Absolutely phenomenal person. Uh, and Justine Feather was our boss. So we had a bus or a van and we'd go and pick these kids up that were troubled at risk and the first three houses we went to, I'd arrested the parents. Yeah. And like I've looked at Amanda and I'm like, it's going to be a long day. Yeah, this is going to be a big bus trip. <laughs> but it was great to see. Uh, not great to see sounds terrible. I saw the effect of the parents' lives on the children. Mm. And what, like I was talking before when I said about, you know, staying with a with a partner, we're watching that becomes normal, right? Yeah. Bad relationships become domestic normal. Domestic violence, man. When you so domestic violence becomes normal. normal. Yeah. These kids actively sitting there talking about punching cones with their parents on the weekend mm. and how old mate Steve-O came over and his dad was with them and they were all doing it together. Yeah. They genuinely believe that is normal behaviour and that we all do it. And I'd stand there and Amanda would stand there and we'd be like, no, that's not. This is not normal. No. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? The vast majority of the population will do drugs at some point in their time. I'm probably a very, very rare person that has never used illicit drugs. I've never smoked a cigarette, drunk a lot of piss, mm. full-blown alcoholic by 21. Mm. 
but never anything like that. No okay. drugs, no smokes, nothing. Um, and like I said to my son, I never did that with my parents. My kids aren't doing that with me. Mm. Unless they want to be unconscious. And Amanda was saying the same thing. She's like, you guys, you, you actually, they dead set, mate. They believe that this is normal. Normal behavior to be sitting there doing that. That on its own is a massive hurdle to overcome. Mm. Because you sit there and you think, well, what the fuck's the impact I'm going to have here? All I can do is set an example and try and assist them with their education and try and help them move into another course, go to TAFE, go back to school, find a job, whatever. But then they're going, going home. How hard is that when you're the 1% of their week? Yeah. That's trying to bring in the positivity. We had a, we had a Monday to Thursday. Yep. So we had a, and we would drive to pick them up or they wouldn't come. Mm. I mean, they weren't dropping them off. Not at all. The conversation, so I, I mentioned before about having a great childhood. We could talk about anything. I'd come home on the weekends or whatever it was. We'd be home and dad would be like, do you want to go kick the footy? you want to do this? Do you want to do that? If those kids turn around and said, do you want to kick the footy? They'd get to, hey, dad, can we? Yeah. And then they'd probably get smacked in the head and told to piss off. Yeah. And that's what I mean by having a good childhood. We weren't spoiled with britches, I can assure you of that. Mm. But um, it, it's shit. It's 2023. Kids shouldn't yeah. be living like that. No one should be living like that. There's no excuse for that. There's not. And they're usually generational. Oh, 100%. Generational trauma is such a thing. And it is, it, it's like everything, right? Like you become your surroundings. Yep. You do. Yeah, 100%. And then if you've got a broken family structure with a person that grew up the same way, it's normal for them. They either identify it as normal or know that it's not normal, but misery loves company, right? Like Correct. It's, yeah. Like it, that justification, well, I grew up this way. Yep. And I'm fine and they're not. They're a fucking rat, They are right? so not fine. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's real funny. But I think the one thing, and I've said this before and, and, and I, I firmly believe it, if you come from one of those situations and you make it out, you do not resent your childhood. No. Because it teaches you something. It yep. teaches you something about life that you cannot get anywhere else. Yeah. I think that, that broken kids that succeed would never resent their childhood. Mm. I think, and you find a lot of the ones that do succeed, succeed very well. Mm. They don't just make it. Yeah. They actually go on to There's flourish. a resilience in a child that hasn't eaten for three or four days, right? Yeah. I know, you, you know what it's like to be hungry. Mm-hmm. So being hungry for a day or two Man, doesn't I'm, matter. I'm hungry now. Yeah, me too. It's been like 20 minutes. Yeah, I can't breathe, <laughs> but that's good. <laughs> so you get to the end of uh, of your policing career. Mm-hmm. How did the military come about? Uh, one received phone call. Okay. Yep. Yeah, can right. you do this? Yes, I can do that. Will you do this? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I will. <laughs> do you... So can you speak to is is like again you've you've got to you've got to forgive my ignorance here everything I know about the military is from movies right like mm-hmm. that's all I know in movies and video games right like so I'm in no way at all uh, an expert on any of this but can you talk to me about um, the fear side of it is there you know because it's literally life or death. 
like that's the scenarios you're in you know you showed me pictures the other day of you know ieds v vehicles right and we're talking like for those that haven't seen the the armor plating on these vehicles it's like 30 mil steel mm. and these ieds like peel it open right can you talk to me about the fear of that situation it's a, it's weird because there's no fear at the time right there's fear afterwards yep no, everybody's different. Yeah, okay. But I'd look at it quite calculated in regards to if, say, for example, you're going to um, do a door, you're going to kick a door in. Mm-hmm. And this was no different with policing. The odds on a planet as big as ours that there's going to be one person standing behind that door at that point in time with a loaded gun pointed at me, minuscule. Yep. So you play the odds game. You don't think about the fact that you're in a war zone, so the yeah. odds increase dramatically. The saturation is huge. <laughs> right. You don't, but you can't think like that. Yeah. You don't have emotion anyway because emotion gets you killed. Mm. So you just go, okay, the odds, are, the odds are fuck all. There's no chance. And you're so extremely well trained that even if there was someone there, you know you're better than what they are. Right. You know you're quicker than what they are. You know you've got a half a dozen people behind you who are equally as good and mm. equally as quick. They're just going to die and they become collateral damage. Yeah. Afterwards, you go back and you think and you go, holy fuck. Yeah, we've just ended that person. They no longer exist. Not even that because they're not people. And I don't say that in a disrespectful manner. Mm. I'm talking about from a strategic and tactical point of view. It is work and it's a target. Yeah. That's, That's the start, the middle and the finish. And I don't expect people to understand that. Because most people wouldn't. Yeah, no, I, I can't. Like, I am yeah. forever the fuck me that dude had a mum and a dad Correct. and probably a, I don't know, a pet dog that's not, he's not coming home today and that dog's going to wonder why. Trevor the dog hasn't right? got an owner Yeah. Anymore. But if you think about the time that it takes to look through a scope, mm. in a crosshair, find a target, execute. Yep. You. Find a time in there to think about that yeah. without not following your procedure yeah. and tactically being, you know, all in order, you're dead. Mm. You can't have emotion. You can't have feelings. You can't have anything. There's your, that, That's my target. Target's gone. Yeah. Done. Do you have a shot? Yes, take the shot. Okay, done. Like, that's it. This bullet's moving at 2,000 feet a second. Yeah. And it's... How much of it, like... <laughs> Obviously, excessive sniper training. Everything is a calculated move. You know where, I assume you're using bold action. Everything's right there. You know the movement. It is just a thought pattern. So all training with, with any weapons-based training yep. is designed to become muscle memory. Yep. So it's not, you don't have to think the process. You're you just, just do the it. process. Yeah. I remember one time when we first started training with clocks um, in the place and we had to do these uh, lockback reloads and they had a couple of stoppage drills. We did this one stoppage drill, and we got told we had to do it a thousand times. Okay. And I can assure you that when you grab the top of a Glock and you yep. slide that slide back a thousand times, there is blood yeah. and skin missing. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? You don't have to think about doing it again, though. Yeah. It is just a pattern. It's just a rhythm. Yep. And it's just a routine. And you can you get to the point where your magazine's empty, and you can you can lock back reload. Yeah, you know where the slides lock back. You can manage to get your magazine out. Everything's, but you don't even look. You know, and it just, just happens. Yeah, and 
so I guess yeah, there's a, that that is just methodical. Yeah. And you know guys that are interested in actually learning that and being proficient in their weapons training because their weapons are their, are their babies. Yeah, yeah. And they get cleaned. Well, it becomes an extension of yourself, I imagine, yeah. at this point. That is yeah. your partner, right? Like for you, that is you. You clean them a thousand yeah. times. You talk to them. <laughs> you yeah. Know, you yeah, nurse yeah. them and pat yep. them. and Yeah, because they're, they're the difference between you living and dying. Yeah. There's no, there's no other way to put it. Yeah. And, and it's... Like I get that it, it, it is difficult for people to because you can stop and I can think about that now and we can be like, Yeah, that's yeah. That's a person. Yeah. That's a living person like I am. Parents, children, the dog. And I've just ended that. Yeah. But you don't. You can't. Nah. Yeah. You can now. You can now, but in the situation it is absolutely just work and you know, you've got six people that have the same idea as you. Uh, yeah, I, I, I personally, man, like uh, I'm, I'm the first to admit it. I don't, I don't have that. I don't have what it takes to do that, and I know that it's the same reason I couldn't be a cop. I think that the first baby I had to deal with would absolutely break me. I just, mm. and that's just how I am. And I am quite calm when it comes to situations like I've been to. Uh, like, again, not even comparable, but I was the first on a scene. A uh, dude was riding his Harley, and he went wide around the car, hit the gravel, and and come off, right? And and we're doing 110. I was on the way to work. I was first on scene. Second on scene, she was absolutely hysterical. But, I, I like, I, I don't know if it's because I was first there. I took the responsibility, but I noticed the calmness of myself call the ambulance, tell them what's happened, tell them where we are. You, stop the cars. You know, that sort of real regimented sort of control, right? Yeah. Like, so I know that I I am calm under pressure, but I do not believe I could be in those situations and respond effectively. I think there's a thing too where that's okay. Mm. Like, you don't need to be. Yeah, no, I don't need to be. And it doesn't make me less of a man, right? Or nah, less of a all. person. It's no. just not my role. It makes you you. Yeah, and that's why we're all individual and unique. Hey guys, I want to take a minute just here in the middle of the podcast to ask a favour if I could. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on your socials, tag us, tell a friend. And if you're an Apple user, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Every bit helps. We would love to hear your thoughts and you can find us on socials everywhere at Humans Like Us Podcast. Please reach out. I'm looking forward to talking to each and every one of you. With that in mind, let's get back to it. Yeah. So I had an unfortunate incident. Uh, so it was when I was working for the PCYC. Mm. And Amanda and I had gone, I think we'd picked up three three kids. And we were heading out towards, um, I think it's a, like a canal area down here. I don't really want to say too much on mm-hmm, details mm-hmm. and stuff because it's obviously people's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... Uh, what had happened was a, a vehicle was pulled out with a with a caravan on the back, and a motorcycle's come from the right. Yeah. They've made contact. Right has fallen off, and uh, we've seen it and we've approached, and I could see like the, there were sort of blankets um, on the victim, and I was like, "Oh, this isn't good." So I said, "Look, I'm going to pull this bus about 20 meters up." I said Amanda, "Don't let those kids turn around." Yeah. So she kept their attention. When I say kids, they're 16, 17 years old. They don't need to say that shit. So I've run across to what had happened and I've seen the, the young fella 
um, was on the ground and, and not in a, a very good way in, in any way, shape or form. And I felt down and I could, I could feel a pulse. And I'm like, it's working on this guy. Let's get shit moving. Yeah. And you could see there was one lady there who was hysterical. Yeah. And I just asked her, please ring an ambulance and come back and tell me when you've done it. Yeah. Because you know what it's like. I, yeah. Someone call an ambulance. Yeah. And then everyone stands around, no right? Like yeah. it's, it's like, yeah. Absolutely. So you give a direct, give yeah. direct order. You call the ambulance. And she handled that. Yep. And, you know, somebody else hold that sheet up because there's cars coming past. Yeah. They don't need to see this. Right? You don't want rubberneckers anyway because they'll cause another accident. Yeah. And you just give everybody the role that they can hit. Can you help me with this? People need to be told what to do. Yeah. It's. And one lady I asked if she could work in with me doing CPR. Yeah. And she said, I can't. And I said, that's okay. I'll keep going. And she was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, that's okay. I'll keep going. Maybe why don't you go and see if, because the lady who rang the ambulance had a baby. Yep. And with the baby was sitting on the side of the road in the pram. I'm like, maybe you can go and see if that lady's baby's okay. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yep, 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 no worries. And it's it's okay. I know people hear, you know, you hear the whole, it's okay not to be okay. Yeah. It's okay not to be all right with something. People aren't it's not used a big to deal. dealing with trauma, right? No. Like it's, the it's, only time I have issue with things, mate, to be honest, is, you know, if somebody's running down the street screaming, help me, help me, someone's trying to kill me, mm-hmm. and you don't see anyone. I don't like that. Yeah. Because I like to think that if somebody that I cared for was in fear, there would at least be one person willing mm. to assist in some way. Maybe they just call the police. Have you seen, um, there's a video, there's a video that they did um, and it was like a social experiment. This is a while ago. And it was about like um, like bystanders. They call it like passive and active bystanders, right? So they had this... Uh, Dude lay down on stairs outside this really big um, subway station in London. Laid out there and he's looked like a hobo, right? Like they dressed him in just like normal clothes, laid him down. And he's like, help, help. And they're just like, people, how long would it take before someone stopped? And it was like 20 minutes. Yeah. And then they put him in a suit and it was like 40 seconds. It was like, so there's like, and then and it's like, and you see like one person stop and then Someone else is like comes over, and then someone else, and it's like this real sort of like one once one you person. You need that one yeah, leader. Yep. Yeah. But it's just, I think that's the same as any situation. You need one person to lead. Yeah. Yeah. And once absolutely. you have a leader, people will follow. Yeah. Because yeah. we're they're all sheep. It's just human nature, right? Like we weren't all meant to be leaders. There's there's a certain amount of people that just take control and. That's why we have monarchs and all these sort of things, right? Like yeah. people that can garner the most popularity and responsibility are the are the ones that generally we go yeah you know like hands off we we trust your leaders yep yeah that's a good thing but i think so because it means everybody else can live a normal life and look we we it's ignorance is bliss right like we don't oh, want to have to deal yeah. with it we're happy to pay someone to deal with it like i don't want to be a plumber i'm happy to call someone when the sewage system doesn't Mate, work I'm right not, i'm not sticking my hands in that you don't want to right nope someone else's job and and that's like something I'm happy to pay for and it's like politicians right like everyone can have a crack at how shit a job they're doing but no one wants to do the job right like I do yeah okay well maybe you do but the majority of people don't want to be making decisions all day do you know that I was a member of the Liberal Party I do not but it doesn't surprise me I actually was I'm not anymore okay yeah that that phase passed by yeah Roger Mm. so how long were you in the military for 
Five years. Okay. And this was like Afghanistan time, right? Yeah, every time has been Afghanistan time. Yeah, since, but like this was like the big, big push was in like, yep. what years are this? Like, oh, Yeah, but if you go through, there's always been a lot of tension through Southeast Asia. Oh, yeah, always. Middle it's, East, it's um, always had conflict. Yeah. yeah. Like even you'd be surprised at the, the big things where there's money gaining the attention. The amount of conflict that is actually going on at yep. all times in the world. But if you go to that little country just above us, yeah, called West Papua, and you see the atrocities that the are genocide, happening there, yeah. it's disgusting. Yeah. And it's some of the most appalling things you will ever see in your life. Yeah. The lack of regard for for women, mm. for humans in general, but Human for life. women in particular, yeah. it, it it is wrong. And what's happening? Mm, apart nothing. from apart from nothing, yeah, yeah, you don't hear about it, right? No, and it's like everything, right? Like again, it's once it's not a headline, and if people don't want to hear about it, they just don't, right? But you like, look for the big power this. players. Yeah, what's America doing? What's yeah. Russia doing? Yeah, you what's know? China doing, right? Like that's the only three that we care about is what's happening in Ukraine right now. Yep. What's China going to do about it? And then what are we going to get stuck into with America? Because we just go everywhere they go, right? We do. Yeah. And yeah. Just on the, on, the, on the bus. like You know, it's an interesting, um, an interesting thing to research and why I find it so difficult to accept that we just follow America. When was the last time America won a war? Have they ever? That's my rest of my case. <laughs> they didn't even, like only half of them won the war in their own country. <laughs> they, um, yeah. Yeah, it's maybe uh, there's civil war. Maybe. No, again, like only one side won, <laughs> so they can't even take the whole victory. Yeah. So look, and I'll I'll tell you one thing: Australians um, lead the way with courage. Yeah. Always have, always will. Always. Have. And we have some of the most pound for pound. We're better than anyone. We just don't have the volume. We're just small. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're not a big big yeah. force. You know, fifty, sixty thousand compared to. 50, 60 million. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah. There's a good couple of million in the Chinese army. Yeah. How do you compete with that? You yeah. don't. But you look at every single thing that we've done through history and we've always been. This is where Australia loving the underdog came in. Mm. You know, Except the, the, of the Anzacs. We didn't get the emus, did yeah. we? Well, you look at the Battle of Long Tan, how grossly outnumbered we yeah. were. Yep. And we dig in and we just kept on fighting because we've got that resilience. Mm. And I've got, I've got a huge fear, a huge fear that the young men in particular that we're creating these days don't have that and won't have that resilience, which that does get me. Do you think it's trainable, but? I think it's, I. Th or are you along the lines of the thoughts of uh, soft times create, like easy times create soft men, hard times create. I think, men. I think it, easy times do create soft mm -hmm. men and hard times create harder men. But I also think that it's the way that, people can be raised because like we were talking about before i think everything in your life that surrounds you all the circumstances that surround you make you the person you are yeah so if you're constantly mollycoddled and babied and and treated that way that's your expectation because that's normal life if you're taught to fend from yourself to fend for yourself a little bit I don't, and i by no way do I mean that people get neglected or just treated like dirt? Yeah. But there, there's a, there's a balance. Mm. And at the end of the day, like there's some, I, I read a lot and I listen a lot to a lot of like psychological things. Um, I, I do listen. I don't always take in everything and agree with everything that Jordan Peterson says, for example. Mm. But I do read and listen a lot to what he does say. And, I, and I'm very much of the belief that 
we do need men to be men. Mm. We 100% need men to be men because they are the ones that go to war. They're the ones that are, you know, you look at some of the, the shittiest, toughest jobs, sewerage workers and all that sort of stuff. They're classed as manly jobs because it's blokes doing it, yeah. you know, and we need people to do that. And it's not to say that women can't do it because they can do things like that. This, this is not a, not a problem. It's like trying to say that we should be giving birth to children. We can't. We can't. I'll give you the tip. Human race would be gone if it was up to us. Do you think that, um, do you think that we're in a time now of evolution, right? Like me and you sitting across from this table having a discussion about mental health, right? I can guarantee that my father and his friends never did it, right? Like, like oh, 100%. 100%, right? Yep. Like, I can guarantee that there was never ever a time where my dad would have sat down with someone and said, you're doing all right, mate. Like, you mm. know, you can call someone, you can have a chat to me. None of that, right? It was this uh, this go to the pub every day, right? Like, that was his generation, right? You work all day, go to the pub, then go home. And that was Monday to Friday, and then Friday you just stay out later. Right, like so. I think. Do you think? Do you think that we are evolving as as men? Like, do you think that this we need to be this sort of aggressive man? I'm not saying aggressive as in like we all need to be like aggressively masculine. But is there a part of masculinity that is vulnerable and can talk about stuff like this? Yes. Yeah. Do you think this is evolution? Um, I also have a thought on that too, okay. what you said at the start. Do you think that when they did that back in the day, that was their way of doing what we're doing? Yeah, so I, I had this funny conversation with my wife. Um, when I first started FIFA, I'm a very observational guy, right? Like I can sit in a room and, and I can pick people and I can – and talking to people, I, I understand people. I remember I was sitting there eating my dinner in the mess and there's, you know, 200 people in there and I watched this group of dudes, right? Like, so we're FIFO, everyone's away from home, right? No one has their family. Sure, you can call them, all this sort of stuff. I watched these three dudes that I reckon they probably would have been between like 50 and 60, right? Like older gentlemen and they all went and got ice cream together and they all waited for each other to get an ice cream and then they all walked back to their rooms together, right? And, mm-hmm. and I said to my wife, I said, shit. People really deal with mental health and companionship so differently, right? Like, we can talk about it. We can put words to our feelings. Some people just, let's get an ice cream. Yeah, and that's their little, like, without words. I think that, too, there's that whole, yeah, that that can just be their way. Yeah. Like, you know, I had a colleague at one point in time, we used to talk about things like having the men's shed. And one thing we used to do on a Friday at the gym was we would have debrief Friday, which is where we'd all meet and we'd have an hour before we'd train, which normally turned into like five hours and yeah. we didn't train. Yeah, you don't really live when you start talking. No. I've been there. and <laughs> But it was great and some of those boys needed it because one of them said, he goes, I've, I've missed working on the tools because you got all the boys to have a bit of a dick around yeah. with. He goes, this is it for me. Mm. I'll come and tell you the missus has been a bitch this week and, you know, right, wrong, right, wrong or indifferent. But he would, you know, you'd say something like that and you could get it off your chest. Mm. And it became something cool for us. We had our debrief Friday. Yeah. And that was the way that it sort of got dealt with. We didn't necessarily say, are you okay? What are your feelings like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 
but you had a space, right? Like Probably I said, more of the what's on your mind. Like I said, you you personally, you, you have that aura, right? Like you foster that mm. comfortability. Like you said, you, you, have a, you know, have an ability to, you know, make people feel comfortable. They can talk to you about stuff. You, you know, you, you're often in these situations. And I think that that gym, whilst I was never a part of the community, right? Like I was very self-conscious and all those sort of things so I stayed very separate right like I was doing my own thing but I could see that community right like the mm. the people you had there the family you built in that place right um so yeah I think I think that those situations are, are so important because we generally when we feel shit we think one we're the only one and two, the best way to deal with it is alone. And I'll come back when it's all sorted out, right? Like, uh, this yep. is my fucking problem. I'll come back. I I still do it. I uh, My best friend of, oh, shit, how long have I known? Just 20 years. Um, She messaged me the other day, you know, and she said, oh, when are we going to catch up? And I said, I don't have anything to offer you right now. She's like, what do you mean? Like, we've been friends for 20 years. Like, uh, you don't owe me anything. Like, let's just come and catch up. And I was like... Ah, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, yeah, because I'm very much the same. Unless I'm fucking winning, I feel like I'm losing, right? Like, yeah. there's no just normal for me. Like, so yeah, it's 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 real funny. And like I said, she knows me best. Like, she's my best friend. She's been there through literally everything. Um, and yeah, and I, and I, and to her, I was like, I've got nothing to offer you. And she's like, What are you talking about, idiot? Like. Just come and see me, have a coffee. I think, and and in regards to what when you asked me that question on masculinity, do we have Mm. to be a particular way? You can't all be a particular way. You can't, and we shouldn't. We we should should be you, and I should be me. And I think we should just naturally let ourselves fall where we fall. I'm a much more in your face, aggressive type of person. Who? This is gonna hurt, man. (coughs) Fuck yeah. Yeah, that is not good. You good? Yeah. But yeah, so I'm a bit, I'm I'm more like that. I'm more, you know, I'm, if I think something, I'll ask it. If I don't agree, I'll say I don't agree. Yeah. If it push comes to shove, it comes to shove. Hopefully it does not. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, but if it does, you best believe I'm not going to take a backward step. Yeah. And it's okay not to be like that. And I think a lot of younger people get caught up in the fact that, well, I have to be like that to be a man too. Well, no, you don't because that's not what makes you a man. To me, what makes you a man is your ability to provide for your family, how well you take care of your wife or your partner, how well you take care of your children. Yeah, That's what a man is. A man does all of those things. Yeah, we lift heavier shit, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, mm. some of us drop it, but that's yeah. good. And I can assure you, I know what it's like to be married to someone stronger than you, as you you know. But it's, there are so many aspects to to manhood. Mm. It's being a man doesn't mean you have to be big and brave and strong and can be the world's best street fighter. It doesn't mean anything like that. Yeah. And it's a variety of different things made up to suit each individual person. And I think we get too caught up with a cliche, what is a man? Mm. And I don't like that. Because I think people should be, you know, I, I told you before, I was talking to someone who was concerned with if they heard a noise, they wouldn't go out the front of their house. Yeah. So what? Yeah. It doesn't make you less of a man. Yeah. It means you're, it's okay to say, I was a bit scared of that. Yeah. Like everybody gets intimidated by something. 
Something somewhere. Mm. There's always something. For me, it's snakes. Yeah, you hate snakes. Right? right? Like, I don't like spiders, but I'll punch them with 10 people, right? Like, this, this was my point. Yeah. You yeah. can put me in a room with uh, 10 yeah. badass bastards, yeah. but if there is even a baby snake, yeah. I will squeal and jump. Yeah, I, I fully get that, man. I um, But again, I think it is our duty to deal with the people in our lives in a way that says, hey, it's okay to not be the one that runs into the burning building. Yes. You are still a man. You are Let, still Let's look at important. stats, though. Yeah. Like, statistically, you're looking at 5% of the population. Yeah. So what those guys don't realise is they're the vast. When I say vast, they're 95% of the population. Yeah. A very, very small amount yeah, of people but, will run into that fire. Yeah, but we've got this thing that but we, we all think need about to what it, that person. Because it's all we see. Because all we see is heroes. Yeah. Every single movie though. made by Marvel yeah. has a big hero that runs into the fire yeah. and everybody else is running away. Like, every superhero movie, every bad guy movie, they're all looking fear in the face and just kicking its ass. Yeah. It's so farcical. Some people are like that. Mm-hmm. But 95% of our population are not. Mm. And, like, shouldn't I be the weird one if I'm in the minority? Maybe. You know what I mean? Like, but you're not. I'm pretty weird. Yeah, you are. <laughs> you are. Hey, um, tell me throughout all your careers, obviously, uh, maybe not so much the print where it was, you know, uh, I want to consider it a pretty normal job, right? Like, um, you know, the, the, the machinist side of it. But I want to, is there been anyone throughout your professional life, and, and then maybe not even professional, maybe we can leave this to personal as well, who who has had the biggest mentor influence on you? Mentor? Yeah, have you ever had someone that that uh, that sort of was was that role in your life? I would say I've had, I don't know if mentor would be, I had a mentor in the place. Yep. I had a guy that I looked up to. Um. Yeah, he was. I don't know whether it was that he was everything I wanted to be, but he was very good with his guidance and assistance, and would call me on my shit, and say, "No, that's no, you don't mm. do that." And even you knew something was really good if you'd done a great job because he'd go, "Good work." Yeah. Not a big like, like me. I'm not a big praiser. Yeah, you're chasing that constant but, validation, and it just wasn't there, and it yeah. was just that little bit. But I think it's because I don't chase the validation as well. Okay. And he was very much like that. Like you could say to him, "Oh man, thanks so much for that," and he'd be like, "You're up." Like he didn't care. Yeah. And sorry, it's not that he didn't care. He didn't need it. Yeah. He didn't need that validation, and yep. I and I think I learned a lot of that because I did when I was a kid. I needed it all the time. Yeah. Just to know that I was doing the right thing, and. Like he, yeah, he was a great impact for me. Um, I actually coached his son in junior football many years before I actually joined the place. So we had, and I mean, look, his his mum is a lady who isn't by blood my auntie, but we call her auntie. Yeah. So we've had historically some type of relationship and knowledge of each other, essentially since I was born. Um, he used to knock around with my my mum when they were kids, so. There has been some connection there and some contact there over an extended period of time. Um, I still talk to his son now, and you know we touch base with each other and see how the other one's going. And and yeah, to have someone like that, he was great to um, he was great for my career. In the end, he couldn't totally get me on the straight and narrow with everything that I was doing, mm. but he also had his own career to take care of too. Yeah, and yeah, he, he was wonderful. We we got to work together quite a bit 
um, towards the end, which was really cool. So yeah, he was he was a great guy. Still kicking, so it's not like he's character or anything. He's retired now, actually. Yep, he's retired, the old bugger. And the other, probably the most influential person in regards to sorting me out, uh, I would have said was Kiara. Okay. Yep. Yep. She very, very much put me in the place I needed to be. Yeah. Um, I know we spoke earlier about, like, not so much believing in a God or, you know, spirituality. Are you a believer of not so much fate, but people come to you when you need them in your life? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. My my views, I'm not a religious man in any way, shape or form. Yeah. All of my paperwork for my career is no religion. Yeah. Um, I, I really don't know. When she passed away, Yeah. I saw a medium by accident. Yeah, right. Didn't mean to. Okay. You want me to tell you the story Absolutely, about it? Absolutely, if you're, if you're comfortable for totally, sure. Totally, totally fine, mate. Yep. So it had been... It was just prior to when we buried her, so we, it, it took two weeks yep. from the time she passed to the time we got to, to uh, do the uh, funeral, sorry, mm. not to the burial, just to the funeral. And like it was obviously a very rough two weeks and just before the funeral, probably two or three days, I, I turned to a friend of Kiara's and um, she had lost her husband a year to the day. They were friends in high school, her and Kiara. They, were, they went to school together. Yep. Her husband died... April 7, 2019. Kiara dies April 7, 2020. Yeah, right. Really? Is this real life? Yeah. So anyway, I I sent a message to her and I said, look, I don't really know what I'm doing right now. Who do you talk to? And she's like, I'll give you the details of this person that I see. She's a grief counsellor. Okay, cool. So I go around and I see this grief counsellor. She'd sent me a message previous and she said, look, bring bring a possession um, and, you know, we'll connect through that. And I was like, connect? That's a bit weird. Okay, whatever. So, you know, Mr. Spiritual here goes around, walk inside, and there's incense and, like, hippie things. And I was like, oh, what the fuck? So I walk in there. Meantime, I've got her engagement ring in my pocket. Not visible at all. I actually had it sitting in my wallet, which was inside my pocket. So all you could see was the shape of my wallet. Not like there was a ring box. Not like you could see the shape of the ring, nothing. She had no idea. And um, so I sit down. She goes, have a say. Yeah, sit down. And she goes, so look, what do you want What do you want to say to her? So what are you talking about? She goes, what do you want to say to Kiara? I said, I can't talk to her. She's fucking dead. Me being me. And she goes, oh, well, that's what I'm here for. And I said, I thought you were a grief counsellor. And she said, oh, I am, but I'm also a medium. And I'm like, look, with, look, I don't want to be rude. And I didn't. I did not want to be rude at all. I said, but, and with all due respect, I said, I don't think this is right for me because it's not what I believe in and all that sort of stuff. And Kiara was huge on stuff like that. She loved the whole psychics thing. Like she told me she got the numbers for her son Xander's birthday, date of birth. I got told these when I went to a psychic. No, you didn't. She just made up some random shit. I've still got it written down and showed me the bit of paper. And I'm like, yeah, cool. You could have written that down at any time, right? so she was all into that stuff and so she goes look just have it sit down have a minute if you want to go you can go if you want to stay you can stay and I was like okay no worries so I sat there for a minute she went off and she came back in I said you know what fuck it I'm here you know if it's 
gets big on me, if I don't feel comfortable, I can just go. And she's like, absolutely. She goes, but I'm, I'm really glad you've decided to stay. So, okay. So we started talking a little bit about stuff and she brought up two points that only Kiara and I had ever discussed. We never had discussed it with anybody else. And one of them was a failed pregnancy um, where she'd miscarried. And no one else knew about that. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? And then she started talking to me and I could feel like I wasn't crying, but there was these tears pouring out of my eyes. Like I could just feel them running down my face. And I'm not, you know, when you cry, you're like, <laughs> get the whole thing going on. Nothing. So I'm just straight face looking at her and I can just feel it gushing like the bloody River Nile. And she goes, that's pretty normal, you know. Like, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> But uh, I said, I'm not, I, I don't even feel like I need to be crying right now, but, but they're coming out. Yeah. Anyway, next minute she goes, that is a beautiful ring. You would have never had to remortgage your house for that. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, the ring that you've got in your right pocket. And I'm, by then I'm sitting there and I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, is this some sort of serious setup? Like, this yeah. is absolutely crazy. And, you know, talking about all these things like, oh, um, you know, Kiara's still talking to me now. And then she said a few little statements, exactly how she would, like the pitch, the tone, the sass. And I was like, I am so much more open-minded to this. Yeah, right. I think it's like you said before, you feel like there's something, mm. but you don't know. And I had, I was actually, you know, you're talking about, you know, tough guys don't get scared. I was quite scared yeah. of that because I didn't know what it meant. Like, it's that fear of the unknown. And, um, like, I find that the same with death. If there is a heaven, well, apart from my children, why wouldn't I just end it right now so I could go and be with it? Right. You don't know. No one knows. So, it's like, and it was one of those things, and I was just like, holy shit. And then I told someone about it, and I never, ever mentioned it again because I got looked at like I was an absolute dickhead. Right. So... <laughs> It was so freaky, mate, and and I never went back because I was too scared to go. Mm. I I I have wanted to so badly, right? And in April it will be three years since she's passed. Yep. And I so desperately want to go back and see this lady again, but I just can't do it. Okay. And I don't know what it is that's stopping me. Do you think? And like, let me put on my woo woo hat. Mm. Do you think there's a reason? Like, do you think you'd need? Like, is there something that needs to happen before that happens? I thought it about I thought about it a little bit in the past, and I was like, I think maybe I'm scared of what I might hear. Mm. Like, I might hear something I don't want to hear, because in my mind, this sounds so dumb saying it out loud. No, no, in no. my mind, she was talking to her mm. on my behalf, mm. and that scared me. And what if she spits out something, and I'm just like, I didn't want to hear that. Yeah. I didn't want to know about that. I can't believe you saw it when I did that. Like, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, obviously, now with all the things that you're aware that are going on, I, I feel like I've... You're um, going to get in trouble. Yeah, um, <laughs> maybe not in trouble. I, 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 I feel like she would be ashamed of me. Yeah. Like, I've let her down terribly. Do you... Let me, uh, let me just ask you quickly, and then again, you don't have to answer this if you don't want. Is there a bit... Like, I understand your stance on the situation. Is there a bit 
of shame in it for you that you're in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. do you think maybe that it's internal, not external? Like it's... I think so. And it was even something that like a friend of mine, his wife is, is really big on what you dream about. Yeah. And again, not my kind of thing, but yeah. I've asked her a couple of questions over the years. And um, one of the things that came up recently was I used to have a dream um, only up until recently and it's changed. So I used to have a dream where every night uh, I'd be laying on Kiara's lap and like crying. Yep. And she'd be rubbing my head telling me, it's all okay, it's just a dream. When you wake up, I'm going to be next to you. And of course you wake up and she's not. And then it all hits again and, and that's real. So I was trying to work out what that meant. And then I've had this one now where it's replaced itself with one where she's sending me text messages saying, I've been gone long enough now, I'm going to, I want to catch up again. And as, as you're aware of the situation, I can't, I used to go and see her every day. Mm. And it's weird how your mind works like that. Yeah. And now I've got from seeing her in my dreams to not being able to see her. Yeah. And it's probably, it probably would be hard for people to understand without knowing the context behind yeah, that, but well, that's, yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. And isn't it funny though, like how your mind subconsciously works like that? Yeah, I think, like I said, I think that there's, there's something, I think one, that there's something that connects us all that we don't know, right? Like mm. it's why you have a sixth sense about people. It's why some people are magnetic. It's why some people you just connect with, you can look them in the eyes and there's something there. It's the old soul theory. It's all these things. And then I think that there is again, like, like I am not a, I'm not a, a religious man, but I, I don't want to say I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. But I think there is just shit about this world that I don't understand. This experience is everything that we perceive happens between our ears, right? Like everything is there. We yeah. wake up, everything. It's you know, it's all an electrical impulse. I, I think that there is something intangible that we are just not equipped to see. Well, we make the whole lot up. 100%. The whole lot up, up. Yeah. Not just the whole lot up. Yeah. But we do. But we do. Everything that we do or see is a product of our own mm. mind. But then you fall in love with someone, they fall in love with you. Mm. You have a child, there is this new un, unfathomable connection. There's, you know, there's these things that happen that we just cannot explain. Right? Like you cannot explain love. Yeah, sure. One day I want to murder you. The next I can't think about anything else but you, yep. you're my safe space, you're the first person I can tell all these things to, I'm happy to cry in front of you, I'm all these things behind closed doors, mm. you are the safe space, right? And then, and then like, and then other people, you're just like, ah, oh, couldn't care if I never seen you again, right? Like there's yeah. something there, there is a, a... What makes that? Yeah, I don't very, know. But it's got to be give and take too. Oh yeah, 100%. You know, when you get that yeah. back from somebody else, you you want mm. to give it in return. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Because I think, well, not even I think, I know that so she was my safe space. Mm. The person that I opened up to about absolutely everything, she knew there was nothing that she did not know about me. Yeah. And even when I thought she didn't, she knew. <laughs> so, you know, I'd, I like to think I wore the pants, but they were very plainly laid out for me yeah. to see. Yeah, yeah. You can wear them, yeah. but you're going to wear you these one ones. leg in. <laughs> Yeah, you're putting these pants on today just so you can tell the boys you wear the pants. Yeah. Thank you, dear. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's funny how, again, we have these ideas of what 
masculinity can be and all these things right and we carry that and i, and I think like very detrimental to our our race and our early relationships we carry that into them right especially when you're a teenager you've got an idea i'm the man you're the woman or whatever whatever it is right like you've got this it's a it's a struggle it's a power play right and you've fucking always got to have control mm. and as you get older and older and older, you go, well, fuck me. I mean, like, you can take a bit of this. And then you get to the point, I think, like, you know, that you were with Kiara, I am with my wife. It's a team. Like, it's a team, right? And the team's oh, only fucking strong if we're both strong. Yeah. We do our own thing strong, come together, we're, we're, we're unbreakable, right? Yeah. Like, there's no, you can't just be like, all right, you guys go over there and play the game. I'm just going to come in and do my thing, and then, you know, everything's all good. Well, like, we used to get – people used to think we were just called – like the ultimate power couple because yeah. we were both power lifters yeah. and she was so good and I one once upon a time might have yeah. been okay. Yeah. But it was more than that. Yeah. Like exactly what you're saying. When we went out, like with our powers combined, nobody wanted to take us on. Unstoppable. Because I had the most protective nature. Yeah. She had the most protective nature. Yeah. And if you got in the way yeah. of those two people being on the same page, oh, you poor bastard. Like it was just, I think, and I think that's really like one of the things that I miss greatly yeah. is having that little comrade. Yeah. Well, not little, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like that, you know, always having you go to, um, you know, and again of late, it's the one person that I want to talk to yeah. about things yeah, because yeah. she could always just give me these ideas that even if I didn't want to hear them, she'd tell me, mm. you know, you've done that, that or that. Yeah. This is what's going to happen now. Yeah, but I don't want it to. I don't give a shit what you it's want. Like a bear. This is happening. the outcome. Yep. Yeah, and it was and it was good because it wasn't you know. And we would fight like cat and dog, mm. absolutely crazy. But we never fought about shit. Yeah, we would fight about what's best for our kids. Yeah, what's best for our family going forward. And we would fight with so much passion and vigor that, you know, by the end of it, it's like, yeah, well, you suck. Yeah. You know, like it just becomes yeah. petty and childlike. Yeah. <laughs> But it stems from these really serious things in our lives that are going on. And I think that's sort of when you know, when you know you've got that person. Oh, we could do something, if something happened in public, I don't know what it was, but she could control me. Right. Not the whole mind control thing, or maybe yeah. it was, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but like if, if, like I have this big thing about having respect for women and your space is your space and you don't touch without being asked to touch. Mm. We never really went out to pubs and clubs. It was not the sort of thing that I was into. But we did on one occasion, and she just loved dancing. And I do not. So she would dance, and you know, and she was a very attractive lady with big boobs. And, of course, she drew a lot of attention from the guys. And there was this one, one particular incident where a guy thought it would be a great idea just to grab her on the boob. And I thought it would be a great idea to knock him into next week. So I did. And... Um, I had one of my best friends with me and he knew the rules. If something happened, I don't care what you do, you get her out of there so she doesn't get hurt. He's like, you don't want me to ever jump in? No. If I end up unconscious, I end up unconscious. At least I'm not going to remember. Mm. Right? And the last thing I remember is him just grabbing his arms around her and lifting her up because he was six foot three. And he just carted her out and I was like, oh, good on you, mate. Oh, hang on a minute, I'm fighting a yeah. dude. Oh, shit. And all I remember is her saying, Bradley, enough. <laughs> and I just stopped and I stood up and I just walked off yeah. to where they were yeah. 
And I'm like, I don't, no. how, how did this happen? What? No one can ever do train that. me like this. I know, right? <laughs> do I get a treat now yeah. that I've stopped? Just or? Pavlov just conditioning you. And yeah. I just got, I remember because at that time it was all about, she just wanted to calm me down mm. and we went off and we did our thing together and all that sort of stuff. And when I got home, then she was like, that was bullshit. You went over the top. Yeah, not cool. Never would berate me in public. Mm. Always had my back. Mm. And that's, you know, when you're... You know, and you've been with Jess forever in a day too. You know, you know mm. what it's like when you've got that person who always has your back. Yeah. But then when the time comes, they'll tell you when it was shit. Oh, yeah, they'll tell you absolutely you know? that you're yeah. being a fucking idiot. And you need that. You yeah, need you that do. accountability you in your life. I, I think that's like what real yeah. love is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, you've got to protect the queen, right? This is what we were speaking about. The oh, other day, man. Right? That yep. is, you, you're the king. You protect the queen. That's what you do. That's mm. That's how we... That's how we move forward. I think so. Yeah. I think so, Ricky. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if there's any other I don't know if there's any other way to to define love, right? Like that's it, right? Like you have that one person that you can tell anything to, you can, you know, be the shittiest person on earth. They'll take it for a little bit and then tell you that's no good. Yeah. Get your shit together. Yep. Yeah, but that that that, um, that brute honesty too. Mm, yeah, there needs to be more of that, I think. And and then not just like again, I say love, and and in this sense, we're talking about that relationship. I think again, hearkening back to those people in our lives, those mentor figures, those father figures, those whatever it is, we need to be more of those people in and general. I think, I think sometimes things get lost. You can disagree without disrespect. Mm. And I think that gets lost. Mm. So we've created a lot of yes men yeah, as well, where people will just go, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Do you agree with it? No, no you don't. Mm. But you're just saying yes, because people don't know how to have a healthy disagreement yeah, or a, even a healthy discussion. Because I won't say argument because, you know, it can turn into an argument, whatever. But yeah, people have lost that ability to communicate differences, mm. I think, anyway. And that creates a society of yes men, which creates, in my opinion, weak men. Because yeah. they don't stand up for what they believe in. They don't put their hand up and use their voice when they should. And and I think that that's not great for our society. I really don't. Like, you can have, you can have an opinion on anything, and it's your opinion, so it's not wrong. Mm. It could be morally atrocious. It's still your opinion. There's times when, yeah, you should just shut up and not say it because you know you're just going to look like a tool bag. Yeah. Like if I, you know, we're friends and if I did something that was really untoward or morally or ethically wrong, I would rely on friends like yourself to say, dude, that wasn't cool, man. Like, have you thought about it from this angle? Mm. You know, not to come in and berate you and humiliate you and make you feel like an idiot, but to call you up on it and just say, look, man, come on, like... How would you feel if that was you in that situation? I don't mm. think there's enough of that. Yeah, and I, I don't think we're taught that young enough. No. Right, I, like here we are now, like do, I'm right? in my 30s, you're in your 40s, right? And, and Thanks. I, yeah, and, and I think that this is a, it's, I think it's a skill that I've only really learned recently and mm. it was because I forced myself to learn these things. There was never a, um, like when you talk about like advice from your dad, like, I, I got like one piece of advice from my dad and it was always be nice to the people that serve you food and serve you beer, right? Like, mm. and I live by that. Like, I will never, ever be aggressive towards anyone that 
is at McDonald's or Hungry Jack's or what? Like I never, ever could I think of being that sort of guy. The other thing, uh, he was always, because he was, so he was born in the 40s, right? So he was like a, he was different. He was old. Like he was old. He was an old man when I was young. It felt like he was old. And he was a real honourable man when it come to conflict. And mm-hmm. his rule was you never do someone on the deck, which is like an English saying, if someone's down, you don't kick the shit out of them, I right? agree. I agree with that. Yeah, so that, like, beyond that sort of advice, like, I never got, like, uh, you know, this is how you treat women, this is how you go about living in society, right? Like, I couldn't call him when I had a daughter and how do I do this, right? Like, you know, like, there was none of that. So I think that we need to do more of that like what about visual stimulus like did he provide the example of how you treat a woman for you to see rather than to tell you so my dad um my dad was a rolling stone like he was never with one woman like long like he you know had a couple of long-term girlfriends um but it was never like yeah, he was like he was always a polite. Like my dad was the politest man on earth. He was a very well mannered gentleman. He always dressed nice. He was always respectful to women. Like I, I think that, like my disrespect of women, much like you said earlier, was growing up in a single mother household where she held very little respect for herself. Mm. And so I think I probably absorbed a lot of that. Um, to again getting to you know, going through several toxic relationships as a, as a young man. And then, you know, I met Jess in my early 20s and, and I had seen a lot by that time. Um, and, and look, I, I was not an angel when we met. I was, you know, half, like one foot in jail. Like it was, you know, it was a really, really tumultuous time in my life. Um, but I again like that protective nature like i have a lot of the same traits as you um you know i put an end to partying at the house that was it and and the only way i could do that was with violence right so it was this house no one comes here anymore if they come here and i find them on the couch it's not going to be great like, mm. there will be conflict so yeah i think everything that i learned was with jess right and i grew up with her like i you know, I got old with a lot of women, got older with a lot of women, but I grew up with Jess because, you know, I didn't know what it was like to be around, uh, like, a proper family, right? Like, and, and, and she was a single mom, and, you know, I'd probably, again, me with all my mummy issues, like, I can fix everyone's problems, and, and, and that's what I did. But in that process, I think I fixed a lot of my own problems. Mm. Yeah, and I think that, like, I didn't have all the uh all the influence from my father no he just died too young i think giving me a couple more years with him maybe i would have seen a lot more as i transitioned into adulthood but uh losing him like i was 16 so uh there was not like as i was sort of becoming a man he was you know sick and 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 dying um so yeah there was there was none of that for me there was nothing that i could really latch on to um, so yeah, I think I just sort of had to learn it. And, and Jess was the one that sort of said, you know, much that same, like, that's not good enough. This isn't cool. Like, mm. we need to do this. We need to do that. So, yeah. I think, yeah, well, cause I reckon I learned a lot of my, um, manners from, from my dad by watching his actions. Right. 
So he always believes in courtesy. Yeah. Like I said to you before, I, I don't like when people say what and don't say pardon. Big thing for me. Please, thank you. It's not difficult. It doesn't take any time of your day. No. And it doesn't hurt you in any way. Yeah. And, I mean, there was a, a specific incident where, so Kiara was nine years my junior. So she was just a pup. Yep. Really? <laughs> yeah. So she was like, yeah, early to mid-20s when we first met. Yeah, right. Um, and she'd been through several yuck relationships. Yeah. One involving violence, one involving manipulation. And one, she was very fearful all the time. So the person she was when she passed was not the person she was when I met her. Um, don't get me wrong, I fell in love with that person that Ooh. I met. And I grew further in love with the person she became. And we went out, it might have been our second date. The first date we just met at this place. And the second time I took her somewhere. And uh, she's gone to the car and I opened up the door for her to get in. And she looked at me and she goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm just opening the door for you. And she's like, I can do that. I said, yeah, no, but you don't need to. That's, I'm the man. And she was like, Okay. Anyway, I got in the car and, and I saw a little tear, you know, right? And I'm like, are you okay? you got to remember, this is the second time we've ever been yeah. on a date. And I'm like, what if I did? I jam her fingers in the door or like... <laughs> I already fucked it up. <laughs> and, and she looked at me, she goes, no one's ever done that for me before. Yeah, I said, right. what? And I'm very big on when we walk down the street, I walk on the side where the cars are. Mm. Simple little, mm. like chivalrous things. Yeah, I don't think I've ever walked in a door before my wife ever. No way. Never. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, it felt unusual because I was like, how do you not know this stuff? Right. And then obviously as our relationship evolved, then she told me about mm. her historical relationships prior to that. I could see why. And one of the things, and I guess being that whole protector thing again, one of the things that I'm most proud of, a couple of them, is that I helped her lose that that bit of fear mm. and I feel like I played she did it she did it but I feel like I played a part in her becoming the person that she always needed to be yeah and she was very proud very independent woman yeah um and the thing I'd be most proudest of is she told me always told me that one of the things that she loved about me the most is that for the first time in her life she felt safe mm. and it, like that broke my heart when I first yeah. heard that because I was like You've gone all this time in your life and you haven't felt safe. Yeah. And and we would go through the things, you know, she was so open with how she would talk. Sometimes it took forever and I can understand why. Some of the things she told me were horrific. And um, and you think, how does someone these days get to that point where they just can't feel safe? But it all made sense when she told me everything. And like I could, I guess I could see then why she loved me and the things that I did, you know? like And it's like, well... Man, if that's all I'm doing, if that's all I've got to do, hold a door and do this and do this. Mm. But it was, she never experienced it and it was foreign and she had no idea what I would look. She's like, what do you want? You know, like, I don't want anything. This is just normal. Yeah. And I can tell you right now, until the day she died, that stuff never stopped. Yeah. Like, it wasn't an act. It wasn't a show just to, to be this, oh, yeah, I'm a really nice guy. Because mm. don't get me wrong, I'm a super nice guy, right? Yeah, you turn it on you want to. <laughs> But it was, that's normal to me because that's how I saw my father behave, mm. you know, and my dad's father in particular was a pure gentleman. Right. I never even heard him swear. Um, and he never, so he married 
my my grandmother, both of these both of these um, people have passed. My grandmother and grandfather on on my dad's side, and they married as like they were childhood sweethearts, and they'd been together forever. They're never with anybody else, and he did everything for her, you know. And so to me, that was normal. Mm. That's just what he did, you know. She be sitting on the couch and she'd go, oh, I'm just going to get myself a drink. Next minute, he's up and he's gone and got one. I'm like, oh, he's really cool, old pop, you know? Like, So then, to me, that's just a normal thing. And I guess it goes back to what we all experience and see in our lives by the people that are, I guess, our senior or, or leaders to us or elders to us or whatever you want to call them. We end up mimicking their behaviour yeah. because it's normal, right? Yeah. So I guess there's no... No coincidence the way that we end up and why it can be really hard, I guess, for some people to break the cycle. Because if you're in that position where you're living at home and everybody's taking drugs and everybody steals, you're the weirdo for not doing it. Yeah. So how do you break the cycle? Yeah, you think you're weird to a normal society. Wait until you're the straight one in a in a in a you know, in a in a dodgy family, right? Like I am um again, like like you said, I am so lucky that my oldest brother got out. He left like as soon as he could, um, and and he was like really like one of those those kids, right? Like he sure he had his you know he was you know he was a a shithead, right? Like he you know certainly could push boundaries and those sort of things, but he was a good person, right? Mm. Like and he and he you know he absorbed a lot for us younger kids. Like he's seen so much more than we did, right? But he also didn't let it beat him. And, 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 and I always had that little spot that I could run to. That little bit of safety was, for me, my brother's house. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think it's so important that we, we like, like I said, it's our duty now to be those people. Now that we can identify there's a problem, yeah. it's our responsibility to fix it. Yeah. Much the same, you know, with your PCYC stuff. Me, I want to do more of this for very much the same sort of audiences, right? Like I don't want kids to grow up how I grew up. Mm-hmm. And especially not the way I was as a teenager, right? Like the 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 issues and the 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 headaches and heartaches, right? Like those two things you want to save for everyone. Like you just want to be that person. Like you said, if it's if it's not them, it's good. I'll take it, not them, right? And we need to. I think we need to. Yeah, we need to share this knowledge and 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 this, you know, this examine life. Like we need to realize what makes us us and 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 we're not alone and we're not, you know, unique and it's, it's happening to everyone. That's where I think that, that, that yeah, it's our duty. It's our duty to fix the next generation. i got a question. Mm. So what else can you think that we should do? Uh, for us, like me and you? Yeah, what can we do or for anyone who listens, what can, what can we do uh, to make things different or better? I think that the first thing... So I think that the first thing we need to do is be really open and honest with our children. And I think it is a part of, um, and everything, right? Like, you know, you've got, you've got boys and girls. I've only got girls, so I'll never be able to raise a man. Um, but I can show my girls the way that they should be treated, right? Like, yes. And I think, and I think having open and honest conversations around mental health and, sexual health and relationships and just life right like shit is rough and and stuff gets hard and and being that person that you know like your mum was to you always available for a conversation Mm. 
I think that there is also a part that, again, what we've spoken about says, hey, enough's enough, you're being shit and you really need to fucking pull your head in. I think that there needs to be more accountability in our in mm. our society for our children as well. Yeah. What do you think? I'm on the same yeah. sort of path yeah. as you. I think... I think we need to recognise, like I was very fortunate after working with the PCYC to work for the education department of WA mm. um, and worked with the TAFE as well. I, I think I'm a very big believer in education um, and I honestly feel like we need to realise, so, so the, the curriculum in our state in regards to schooling is based for children that can learn from textbooks you know, we all learn in different ways. You know, there's there's so many different ways and, and the vast majority, unfortunately, I think it's in excess of 80% of kids learn from the I'll show you, we'll do it together, you show me. We work together. Yeah. That's not how school's taught. It's not. So it's a setup for failure. It's a setup for academics. So people that are already academically enhanced intelligent people will do well and they will succeed in school yeah so i think we need to look at something there in regards to the way that we educate our children i think we need to um look at alternate pathways when kids aren't learning how they i would say how they should learn but learning to the best of their ability okay what else can we provide these kids because i feel we have a duty you know there's this there's this thing now where it's it's you have to be at school until you finish year 12. We didn't have that. Mm. Like I finished year 10 and I could go, I didn't have to go to school after that. Now you do until you end of year 12 age or 18, whichever comes first. So what do you do with those kids in year nine that hate school? Let's find something. Let's bring some different, you know, we're going to have a skill shortage if we, if we don't already have Ooh, a skill shortage. Do, yeah. There are programs in place, but they're not funded. You know, like DTWD is a big funding model through our government and they fund things like the PCYC. They fund things like, um, you know, there was courses at TAFE that we did for disengaged and disadvantaged youth. So they'll fund those things. But we need so much more because not we're not catching these kids. Like the, the number of children, when I worked in the participation unit, so participation unit for education department is when the kids don't go to school. And we need to find out what they're doing and what are we going to do to get them engaged? How are we going to do this? There would be close. Now, if we look in Bunbury, what have we got? Five high schools around this area? Because you only deal with the public schools. This isn't even including the private schools. Yep. So the public schools. There was close to a 1,000 children on that list. Yeah, right. In five schools mm. that are classed as disengaged. How... Um and, oh, I, you might not know the answer to this, but how much of those are from those lower socioeconomic backgrounds? Yeah, the majority. Roads and stuff like that, like those in more, yeah. like in those more disadvantaged areas, right? Like, oh, I would say, so I had two of those schools right. allocated to me. Yeah. And that's a lot. Right, so and this is just back to before, right? Like if you can't deal with your emotions, you can't deal with your environment, this is what happens, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you get, you know disinterested in school as a young age, grow up, have kids, they don't want to go to school. Fuck, it's cool. I didn't. And look at me, I'm doing good. Exactly. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yep. And and this is the thing, you know, we've got to that point where it's, we're, we're a very, um, I would say, mineral rich 
uh, state. Mm. You know, our resources sector is going okay. It's literally all we have. <laughs> right. But it brings in a lot of revenue for it our does. state. Yeah. And it's fantastic. Uh, we're so... We're, we've got these organisations that are meant to be taking care and nurturing our children that go, oh, you've got 50 people on your list. Quickly knock a few of those off and we'll knock it down to 45. Mm-hmm. Well, what am I going to do with them? Oh, have you seen them? Yep. Okay. They don't want to engage. No, all right. Send it off. What? Mm-hmm. That's not helping them. Same thing happens in the schools. It's how can we get them to be the, become the next person's problem because there is not enough staff... There is not enough funds allocated. There is not enough things for them to actually do to make a real impact. So until, I sound like a politician now, but until our state government gets their heads out of their ass and really funds things properly like they should, we're going to have a problem. Mm. And it starts with their education base because no matter what, if you can at least keep the kids in school, they have some routine and they have some structure, we need to work on behaviour management strategies with kids because some of them it's just out of control. Mm. You can teach those things in school, get people in the schools. Whatever happened to the days of having a copper at the school? That used to be around all the time. Yeah. Don't have the resources, don't have the money, you know? And I'm sorry, but while you've got, like, state politicians and stuff driving around in these brand-new vehicles wearing mm. thousands of dollars' worth of suits, getting paid to live on the water, I don't think that's fair, mm. you know? Yeah, we don't have a gazillion dollars to throw at everybody, but between health and education, what else is important, really? Yeah. I can tell you right now, there's a $50,000 sculpture sitting down at Kambana Beach. Yeah. Are you for real? Yeah. 50 grand for that, and it looks terrible. I seen something, I heard something on the radio from the Smith family, and it was like uh, $90,000 they need to make sure that 5,000 kids have everything they need for this year. There you go. Right? Like, it's... You, so know you, think, I mean? you know, you're fixing up close to 3,000 yeah. right there with that 50k. Yeah. And it's uh, like I can't, I just can't deal with that. Yeah. I get we need things to make this area attractive yeah. and we need to do so for, for tourism purposes and all that sort of stuff. But we're talking about trying to help the next generation of our children coming through to avoid having all of these other issues. The yeah. best thing we can do, at least if we give them an education, they've got to start. Mm. At least if we can keep them at school or in an education program, get them into trades earlier if we need to. Give pre-apprenticeship courses from an earlier year if you need to do that. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. They, can, they haven't reached the age where they can leave school. Yeah. So people are like, well, you can't pull a year nine kid into this. They're too young. Okay, so let's send them to school, which they don't go. Yeah, they can work at McDonald's on the weekend. Why can't they start their full-time yep. job now? But you can't, so they won't... They'll refuse to allow you to do that. Mm. So you can't just go, okay, well, I'm not going to send this kid to school now. You just tell them and demand that they have to go to school. They're not going. So you're still not winning. But if you do something that entices them to stay engaged, well, how can you actually lose? Hey, viewers. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's such a strange... um it's yeah, it's such a strange situation where we like I know yeah right like let's not give everyone an out right like because because kids are lazy kids are lazy by nature yeah that's right if you say hey you don't have to go to school nine times out of ten they they won't go right mm. well they've got to do something they've got to do something and I and I think that any sort of structure is good yeah until the point that it's not helping right 
Yeah, I don't know the answer, man. I, I know what I would have liked as a kid, but I was a really academic kid. Right? Mm. Like I was A and B student in 11, and then obviously my old man died and school was irrelevant. Now life was irrelevant. Right? Like what the yep. fuck is, you know, mortality became really real. Um, yeah, so I don't know, man. I, I don't know what the answer is. I think but from those things, once you get a kid to flow into a workplace, they've got... Yeah, the routine and structure for me, I guess, with my background, it's really important, right? Mm. They've got a, a foot somewhere. So no matter what, they've at least got an achievement. Yeah. Which some kids don't achieve anything in their childhood and that stems into their adulthood. So, you know, you entice them to keep doing things. You keep doing these things and something else can happen. We'll pull you into this program. We'll mm-hmm. get you into that. We'll do this. Bring in more mentor programs, you know, I think if kids are going to be involved in any form of education, they need to have a mentoring program because one of the things you asked me were people that had mentor roles in my life and they were the two people that impacted my life more than anybody. Made you accountable. Accountability is a huge part of growth. Yeah. Yeah. And I I honestly would say, apart from my parents, those two people made me more accountable than anybody else. Mm. And if I didn't, especially with Kiara, if I didn't, oh, she was... I was accountable. Mm. But you know what I mean? Like, so start doing that from a younger age. You know, we've got all this stuff where we've got mentors in workplaces and we've got life coaches and all those other things. After everybody's already had this section of their childhood, that could be quite horrific, which could ruin their chances of working. Because, you know, they start going down the wrong path. We know what it's like to try and get work with criminal records and and all that sort of stuff. Try and travel to America. Try and do anything. Yeah. You know, it is. It becomes restrictive on your life, and these kids have no idea that that's actually what happens. Yeah. I remember I told one kid, you know, he'd been in trouble with the police, and I said to him, "Mate, get yourself on the straight and narrow," because he told me he wanted to be a young boxer, and you're like, going to fight in America. I'm going to do this, and I'm like, "Not without won't. a fucking passport, you know." Yeah. I was like, "Mate, they're not. You're not getting a visa to yeah. go there." Oh, what do you mean? And I told him, and he's like, no, that's not true. And I'm like, look, come with me to the Google machine mm. and we'll see this is in fact correct. Yeah. And that reality was sort of something that woke him up a little bit. How he's gone since then, I don't I don't know because I haven't been able to keep in touch with all of them. Yeah. But I mean, the things that we did were great. Yeah. And I wish that we had the resources and the ability to keep doing more. Mm. But, you know, for me, that's sort of where it starts. And then where it flows from there, who knows? Yeah, yeah, no, I fully agree, man. As someone that was, yeah, I was just so angry at the world. I wish that someone had told me that the people you are willing to die for at 20 won't be at your court case. No, no. Right? Like, I had, like, two people come to my court case, um, one of my best friends and my wife. But two that's, people. that's reality. Yeah. But right. we are all caught up. And like that, I said, like you need forever. to remember that I have a lot of friends in, mm. in you know, where I'm from. In, you talk to any of your friends from your schooling days? I do. I, I have I have a couple of really good friends that I've known since 11 and 12 um, that sort of took a, took a back seat when I got a little bit wild, right? So it started with uh, new groups of friends, right? As soon as I started working on the door in that environment with those sorts of people my friend circle changed because 
you know, not like the military, but you need people that are going to react the same way as you. It makes you feel like oh, you're a part of the team. It's all those sort of things, right? What happens is these people aren't functioning members of society, right? Like, is are there to be a problem for people that want to be problems? And what happens is you end up becoming a bigger problem. And I, again, forever the people pleaser, would always be the first one there for my friends, my friends, you know, the last one standing for my friends, like mm. all these sort of things because I had this ego that I had to be, I had to be the biggest one. I had to be the most aggressive. I had to be that protector, right? Like this is my job. I'm the crazy one. I'm the big one. I'm here to look after all you guys so you guys can all have fun. Mm. Uh, and then, yeah, like I said, it all come down to it. Um, and, and, and the situation involved people in my friend group and there was a handful of people that I told the story to eight, ten years later that went, oh, I never knew that. But none of them asked, right? Like everyone just assumed I was the arsehole that knocked out one of my friends. No one ever tried to understand the scenario. And 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 that's cool, right? Like I get people have got their own lives, but I wish someone had told me don't fall on this sword mm. over a girl, over whatever. Like, it's just not like these people you will not talk to in 10 years. Would you have believed it? Depends who it come from. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, that's true. Right? Like, so again, I had no real positive role models in my life, and especially not men. Um, had I had someone, like you said, someone from that environment mm. that had been through that shit, that come up to me and said, bro, I've been there, done it. Don't fucking do it. I probably would have listened. I think the delivery and the person yeah. giving the delivery makes yeah. a huge difference. So again, this is where I feel that it's my duty, my responsibility to do the same. What about sport? What about sport? I don't talk to anyone that I went to school with. Right. I haven't done for decades. Okay. Pretty much since I left school. Mm. I played sport and I made all my friends through sport. Right. And then you look at things especially in the United States with their sports programs, even in the communist countries like China and Russia, their sporting programs are fantastic. They're mm. huge. They make it a part of the curriculum and the retention rates of children in education is, is a hell of a lot higher than it is here. Yeah. You go into a college gymnasium and it's better than the biggest gym in Perth. But you there's know, money like, in it, right? Like, because they commercialise correct college football and all these things, right? Hey, you look I at was, the crowds that are there; yeah. they're phenomenal. But I, I was mean, never a sports guy, right? Like, I never understood it. Like, I understood violence, I understood like combat, <laughs> mm. but I never got into sports ever. I'm just too uncoordinated. Well, I think more, and again, it's, you, you can't put everybody in the same basket, mm. right? But I look at the young Indigenous kids down here yeah. and their ability to play sport. Phenomenal sports. Man, man yeah. come on. Like, that's not fair. You only have to look at the AFL, right? Yep. All the best players are Indigenous. And what, you know, you don't have to make a race-related mm. school or sports program for it. But those kids that might nick off and get in trouble yeah. might stay because they've got the chance of some sort of, you know, scholarship program yeah. or something that can be a career pathway for them. It's just another option. Mm. Does it necessarily work? I don't know. I know they've got the Clontarf Academy, but if you're a white kid, you can't go. Yeah. And I, know I don't like stuff like that. I think that that's not cool. I think, why can't we just be people? Why can't in the, we just in, be a foundation that gets everyone yeah. up? Yeah. yeah. Let, let's just all be people for a change. Yeah. And take the political shit out of it and go, okay, this is going to try and better some kids' lives. And who knows what could happen? 
Mm. Like magic could happen, mate. Like you, you could get a kid could become the next Olympian. You know, yeah. like the Bunbury Gymnastics Program, Kiara, for example, was selected to go into one of the Commonwealth Games teams for Australia. Yeah, and couldn't because she blew both her knees out. Saw yeah. the video; it was horrible. Yeah, I bet. but the kids from Bunbury, that little old Bunbury, that shouldn't be able to do anything. Can change the world. Exactly, which mm. then in turn, you know, like it can change their family. It can change every everything for them going forward. You look at the, these big American stars; they're getting hundreds of millions of dollars a year. They've gone from potentially living in the slums to living in Beverly Hills. Mm. You think their kids are going without? Mm. And that's one person making a change. The rest of their family going forward is going to, uh, you know, benefit from. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe that could happen here. You just don't know unless oh, we try. Well, again, again, I think when you, it's all you're money. Thinking, yeah, it's all money. I think, but again, I think you're you're thinking bigger than it needs to be as well. Oh, I agree. Like I, I agree that I'm going said, like five or six steps ahead. Yeah, like I said, you had an impact on my life, and I'm sure you've done it to a hundred kids in the PCYC, like those sort 107. of one hundred and seven kids, right? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, I think that the micro needs to influence the macro. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, think, I just get see, I get visionary, and I like yeah, to think about what yeah, could you're it thinking be. Foundation, Ugh. Wayne Foundation. You're probably Batman. I'm not sure. I can't answer that. That's how it is. Hey, uh, tell me, what's your favourite quote? My favourite quote? Yeah. What piece uh, of advice? What's the best piece of advice you've ever hang been on, Hang on, I want to get the quote first. Okay, do the quote. Yeah. That's why I roll, baby. You knew that when you met me. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Do you know where that's from? No. That's um. in Blades of Glory. Okay. Chaz Michael Michaels. Yeah, I haven't seen it enough times. Will Ferrell. Yeah, I know the movie. Yeah. Chaz Ooh, Michael Michaels and so Jimmy McElroy. Roger. It was a great story based right. on a true story that I don't know. I don't know I if don't it was. Think it was but pretty pretty that's sure. Okay. It was. Yeah. Pretty sure it was a documentary. Yeah. Now what did what was your other question? <laughs> you sort of blindsided me with a movie quote. I was, it, it was good. I was looking for something really inspirational. I don't have was, that. No. I don't see I'm not one that lives off inspirational quotes. Okay. I like to I don't want to quote to motivate me. Mm. I want to have... See, another thing, like I'll talk to you about motivation, right? A lot of people will say to me, I don't have the motivation to train. And mm. I don't agree with that. I think it stems from the fact that you don't have something to train for. So for our guys, in particular the ones that compete, if there's no comps coming up, all of a sudden they have no motivation to train. No, that's not true. Your motivation hasn't changed. Your goal of what you're trying to achieve has changed because there's not one there right now. Yeah. So how do I, as a coach, fill that void and try and give them little goals to have along the way to chase down the big goal? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I've always sort of thought that way with with motivation. Mm. Um, it works for some people. Like I don't need somebody to rant and rave in front of my face yeah. to get me motivated. Like if I don't want to do it, I'm not doing it. Yeah. But if I want to do it, nothing's going to stop me. Yeah. So... But as far as the best piece of advice I've ever got, I think that is without a doubt what, what my old man told me, and that was to never, ever start a fight. Yeah, Never start a fight because you will get into enough. And I will never, ever forget the day he told me that. And I've already told my son. My son, he's the most placid kid, mm. my oldest boy. He's, he's already been, had. Oh, I think I've told you before, you know, with his bullying problems at school where yeah. people pick on him because of, you know, with his weight and... That sort of stuff, and it's and it's a horrible thing to witness. But um, 
Yeah, I told him that as well. But he doesn't want to anyway. I tried to teach him how to box. Yeah. He didn't even want to hit the pads. Some kids just aren't about it. Mate, and you know what? That's okay. That's what I said That's to him. Good, it's man. okay. Yeah. You know, like you don't have to be that way. As long as, you know, his primary role right now, he takes care of his mum and his little brother. Mm. And he loves that. That is becoming a young man. And I'm, I'm so much proud of him for that than being a kid that goes around fighting at school. Mm. Like, come on. You yeah. Know? Good, good, um, good advice, bro. Mm. Mm. Yeah, solid advice, bro. Just to wrap it up, is there anything I didn't ask you that you wish I did? I don't know. No? No. It's kind of cool, though, because like, we, really, we didn't really talk much about powerlifting, which was good, but we could yeah. do that another day. We can. There's, there's more time in the world than Mate, anything. How weird is it talking about yourself, too? I find it the easiest thing on, in, in the world for me to do. It's easy, but I feel weird. Uh, it, I think it gets easier. Yeah. When, so I was having this conversation at work with a guy the other day. Uh, shout out to Kiki. And... Um, we 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 sort of locked into this this thing, right? And he said, "Why why the podcast? Why do you want to do a podcast?" I just think I'm meant to. Like I'm not meant to just be a cog in a machine. Like mm. I personally feel there's something greater than myself that I need to find. And this feels right. And talking to people that have you know insight and have been through shit and come back and all those sort of things, I think that this is this is what we're supposed to do. Like, I think that this is purely what, what we're here to do. So, yeah, man, I don't know. It gets easier when you realise that you have a purpose in talking about yourself. It mm. just becomes easier. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I could, You and I could sit here and talk for days. Mm. But I think, you know, imagine what it would be like interviewing someone who's got nothing to say. And yeah. just a dry book. It is, it is hard. Yeah. I've, I've done it before and it is hard when you've got to like really coax out what you want to hear. So you used to be in the police? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Can you tell me, how'd you get into the military? I they called me. I joined. <laughs> yeah, look, man, I, I don't know. I think that uh, once you get comfortable with understanding that your life matters and your story is important and there's there's stuff in there that will help people it becomes a whole lot easier mm. i enjoyed it mm, i did too man i, I want to really really thank you and let you know that i appreciate you for all that you are in my life and for sitting down there and chat with me that's actually very nice yeah i appreciate that i know i know you don't like validation and all those sort of things but no but it's not you know what it's nice because i know that it, it makes you feel good Okay. <laughs> That's what I like about yeah, it though. It's yeah. not about you about words that I receive. Yeah. It's about the fact that, you know, that's made that person feel good. Mm. That, that's fucking cool, man. Yeah, man. I love that. Yeah, no, I always, love I always feel very fulfilled when I when I leave here. So yeah, thank mm. you very much for, for the person you are. Next time we'll train safe. Yeah, bro, I think I need to go to the hospital. <laughs> I'm quite injured. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. Sorry, man, it wasn't funny. Uh, Bro, where can we find you? Social media, anything you want to tell anyone? Where can they find you? All those sort of things. Don't Google your name. Do not Google my name. Look me up on the gram. Dungeon Powerlifting? No. Oh, yeah, I've got that one, but everything runs out of the KH Strong now okay. for all my coaching and stuff like right, that. Yeah. But part of that, that um, I've obviously done my, my mental training as well before I started the psych degree. Mm -hmm. So I am doing a lot of like personal mentoring i just run it through my my coaching and mentoring business all in one thing right yeah and i find the name obviously the kh was for kiara humble yeah 
um, and the strong part is for the coaching, but it's also for the mentoring, you know, to get your mind strong and get your, get your focus strong and, and help you with whatever goals you need to achieve. Yeah, so it all, people think, oh, it's just about lifting weights. It's not. It's There's not. so much more to everything that I do. Like everything I do has a purpose. Yeah. There's a reason that I speak about what I speak about, the reason I gave a business name a business name, you know. So, yeah, that's it. we've got the KH Strong. KH Strong, I'll put it down in the uh, in the notes below. Check it out. Check the uh, link in the bio. Please, guys. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> in the show notes. It's show notes in podcast. Uh, please, guys, if you found any value in this, uh, share it with your friends, your nan, uh, show your dog, I don't know, but let's uh, let's start the conversation. Let's make this better. And let's improve those around us. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Hey, guys. Ricky here again. Thanks for listening along to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you want to reach out, have a chat, please do. We're on the socials, Humans Like Us podcast everywhere. You can also head to our website, humanslikeus.com. There's a guest application form there as well as a, just a reach out and say hi form if you would rather do it a little bit more formal than a DM. I'm down for that. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on your socials. Tell someone about it. Recommend it. And a review goes a long way on Apple Podcasts. I really hope you found some value in this and I hope to see you for the next one. Bye for now.